We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. So how did we get here? Let me tell you a story. There it is. And the Giants will make it to the postseason as the sixth seed. A franchise steeped in tradition. A Super Bowl champion. That's been passed down through generations. Hey, baby, let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. That's some fun. Believe it, and it will happen. Was he inbounds? Yes. And these guys, they haven't just accepted that legacy. They're on a mission to make it their own. Sidearms and intercepted. Picked up by Julian Love at the 40. Sacked by Tippett. All the ball's loose. On the ground. Touchdown, Giants. You see, there's this bomb. An undeniable brotherhood. A belief to never give up and never give in. Shovel. Barkley breaks a tackle. Dives in for two. That's the foundation of what we're going to build. The heart and soul of this city, tried and true. You see, these fans believe and won't let it happen any other way. It's all of us, one goal, united in arms. Our way, our way is tough. Oh, what a hit. It's smart. Smart play the right way. And dependable. The distance it is good. Playoff time is our time. Right here, right now. I'm a giant Super Playoff, baby, let's go! And we'll do it our way. All right, 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 all right. Stand up, New York Giant fans. Super excited to have Big Blue Banter on the channel. They've been on before. They're on again, and we got a huge, huge game to talk about. Well, let's say hello to Dan. Let's say hello to Nick. We'll start with Dan. What's going on, man? You hear me, Dan? Am I muted? You are not muted. Is Dan frozen? Dan, you good? Nick, you go ahead. Let's start with you. <laughs> I'm doing excellent. I'll speak for Dan. Dan and I are so excited about this week. Playoffs against a team that is very beatable, Minnesota Vikings. 
just saw them a couple weeks ago, right? So we're really, really excited about this. Dan seems to be having some technical difficulties. Hopefully we can figure that out. But the Big Blue Banter podcast is ready to tackle those boys in purple. I think what happened with Dan is he's just so blown away, and we're going to bring him back in in a second. He's just so blown away by the intro. Um, He's so amped up for the playoffs. He's speechless. He can't believe that the New York Giants are where they're at. Just going to say a couple of people in the chat before we get Dan back in here. Then we're going to talk about everything, the culmination of the season, where we're at, how we're playing going in, how we feel we stack up against the Minnesota Vikings, answer all your questions. What's going on, Kirk? Kirk Cousins in the chat. What's going on, Sean G, man? Thanks thanks for popping in. What's going on, John? What's going on, Sports Influencer, man? Thanks so much for being here. Sean G in the chat. Kansan in the chat. Brian Dable in the chat. Dabes, what's going on, man? James Vegas in the chat. Afghanistan in the chat. Cowboy Suck in the chat. Best name on YouTube. Arctic, Paul, Chill Daddy. Super necessary. Jeremy, man, what's going on? Nick, let's start with you, man. Let's just briefly talk about, while we wait for Dan to get back in, let's talk about this season. And we briefly talked about it before we went live expectations going into the year. I had the New York Giants at seven and 10. I thought six or seven wins. I actually thought I was being a little bit nice when I predicted seven um, because I, you know, figured a new coach. We lost a lot of pieces. You lose Bradbury. You got a lot of young players, new offensive system, new defensive system. Was worried about that second cornerback position being that we were playing Aaron Robinson. He was a slot. But I looked at the schedule. I said, all right, I could see seven wins. I think you guys had them a little bit higher going into the year. Let's talk about it. Yeah, Dan actually had him with nine wins, so I want to clap for Dan right there. I had him at eight and nine, so close enough, right? And the primary reason why I had them winning eight games, Chris and everybody, was because of the schedule mainly. Like I figured the coaching edge would be there in certain affairs. I didn't think, I don't think I thought that the coaching would be this advanced. Like I absolutely am in love with this coaching staff, and they're getting the most out of Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones took a huge progression in his development and his growth and his maturity at that quarterback position, and this coaching staff is putting him into a position to utilize all of his unique traits, and I absolutely love that. But the Giants played the AFC South, which is the worst division probably in football. Maybe the NFC South can rival that, and they took care of business against the AFC South. 4-0, right? They took care of business against the AFC South. And then you had Chicago. You beat them. You had Carolina. Green Bay was on a down year, and the Giants took care of them in London. Tough. Still, you got Aaron Rodgers. Tough place to play. They were able to have that Kayvon Thibodeau sack against Baltimore. And I just think this coaching edge really gave the Giants a chance to allow other teams to shoot themselves in the foot. And then the Giants just pounced on them like a python, right? They just pounced on them like a snake because this is such a well-coached and well-prepared team, just like Julian Love said in the middle of the season, right? We want to bring you to the deep end of the pool. And then in the fourth quarter, we're going to drown you. And the Giants did that in several key critical games throughout this season. And I'm hoping that they can either do that or just blow out the Vikings come this game. As David would say, they just keep chopping wood. They keep, they just keep chopping wood. Um, but it's been a great year. It was a fun year to be a Giants fan. Now, what I want to say, you guys predicted eight or, n- eight or nine wins. But if I had to guess the fashion in which they got those eight or nine wins, you probably did not expect. Because I'm going to tell you what, going into the year, I looked at the lines. I said they're a pushover. Uh, not a pushover, but a team we could certainly beat. Going into the year, I looked at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm like, yeah, we could beat them. They're pretty, they're pretty, and, and we ended up beating them, but they ended up being a tougher team than I thought they would be. Um, same thing can be said for uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Much tougher team than I thought they would be before the start of the year. If I would have told you, and I know Dan just popped back in, he predicted nine wins, but there's no way in hell Dan could tell me he thought they were going to get the nine wins that included an opening day game in Tennessee, beating the Baltimore Ravens traveling back from London. So even though you may have thought nine wins, I think this was an even more impressive nine wins, Dan, than you would have thought before the year started. 
I think that's a very good point. It is a more impressive nine wins. I even think, you know, there's a case to you know, they could have won more games. They could have won that Washington game. They could have won the Minnesota game from a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, and the greatest thing about where the Giants are at now, Chris, is that at least and Nick and I have discussed this earlier this week, but I just feel like the playoffs in a lot of ways, if you're not like the team that has Mahomes, Allen, or Burrow, it just, just comes down to who's getting hot at the right time. And the Giants, from an injury standpoint, are just in so much better shape right now than they've been at any point this season. And I was just on a Vikings podcast with Matthew Cullier, who covers the team from, like, he's a credentialed B-writer. And he's, like, saying the opposite. He's like, damn, man, like, look, we don't know what the hell is going to happen at right tackle. He's like, both of the options for them at right tackle this week are horrible. One of the guys gave up seven sacks in a four-week span when he replaced Darisol. The other guy is Udu, I think his name is, and he's like a right guard last year who was pro football focused, last-ranked right guard who they might try to put out at right tackle. And then they have a backup center, a third-string center. They don't know if Brad – like it's a whole situation there where the Giants, on the other hand, maybe Adoree Jackson doesn't play. We still think he will. That's the only guy right now that we're looking at, like who won't play, who's playing hurt. So I just feel like where they're at right now, that's the key thing too. The Giants are in a much better position than the Vikings right now. And I thought, and I think you brought up the best point in terms of why I'm relatively optimistic going into the playoffs. Now I still have my questions. We still have a lot right. of holes on this team. We're still, we're not, we don't have an influx of talent. You know, you look at the San Francisco 49ers, they got a lot more talent than we do. The Philadelphia Eagles got a lot more talent than we do, but like you said, I think the most important thing when it comes to playoff football is how you're playing going in. And there's no doubt about it. I know that I know the record may not say it because we started six and one. The New York Giants are playing their best football right now. Uh, if I would have told you at any point in the year we were going to beat a team by 28 points, I don't care if it was your right. high school football team. You would have called me crazy. It, it, you know, the win in Washington was impressive based off the fact that they had an extra week to prepare. It was mm -hmm. on the road. It, we should have beaten the Vikings the first time around. I think it was the best our offense looked all year. Either that or the Colts game back-to-back -back weeks. And then last week, and I know Jalen Hurts wasn't himself, but the Eagles were still playing to win that game. They're playing all their starters, both sides of the ball. And I know it wasn't our starters, so the guys that are going to be playing this week didn't play in that game. But it just gives you that much more confidence in our coaching staff that they were able to compete and nearly take that game all the way down to the wire against the Philadelphia Eagles with all their starters in there. And I think that should instill confidence into the team. Even though the players didn't necessarily play that are going to be playing this Sunday, that should instill confidence into them to say, wow, if our coach could do that, he's going to draw up a hell of a game plan come playoff time. So I just feel like everything is clicking right now going into this game. I completely agree with you. You know, I, I'm so <laughs> pumped up, guys. Uh, just to read this real quick. Angel says, what's up, Chris? Been watching since eighth grade. Now I'm five months away from graduating. Been a hell of a ride and love to have been on it with you and the boys. Listening while I work, go Big Blue. Thank you so much, Angel Man. Congratulations on the um, on the graduation. And it's been a long, bumpy ride, man. I started I started after the Barkley draft, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's been tough. <laughs> it's been tough. And it's nice that we're finally going to have a playoff game to um, hopefully celebrate. But regardless of what happens in this game on Sunday, it's been a hell of a year. And there's a lot to be happy about going forward. It's 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 been a great year. I mean, give me some of your takeaways, Dan and Nick, this year, outside of the obvious, outside of Dable. Give me some of like your prime takeaways this year that that you're super excited about going forward. Like what things happen from within this season? You're like, wow, we're building towards something. I'll that start. <clears throat> okay, I'll start with the defensive line. Look. Pressuring the quarterback and stopping the run are two of the tenets of winning football games on the defensive side. And we have some questions in terms of our ability, I think, at the second level to stop power gap counter teams. A lot of moving, pulling offensive linemen. But when you look at the personnel the New York Giants have assembled up front, it's hard not to get 
incredibly ecstatic about the future. The fact that the Giants picked up Dexter Lawrence fifth year option and likely he'll be a long term New York Giant because he is looking like he could be just one of the best, if not the best interior defensive linemen going forward. Then you have two pass rushers next to him, Aziz Ojolari, Kayvon Thibodeau. Those guys, to me, I think if Aziz Ojolari stays healthy, I don't know what he did during the offseason. I know he added some weight, but I feel like he is even more explosive, Chris and Dan. I feel like five and a half sacks in six games. I feel like his bend is is just outrageously more flexible than it was even in his rookie season when it was still pretty damn flexible. And then you look at Leonard Williams. We're not 100% certain how long he'll be here, but either way, he's a freaking great football player. So I'd look at that front. I think that foundation is just an excellent way to start building your roster. And I think just having a guy like Dexter Lawrence really coming into his own can really take this roster a long way. I, I really do think he could be a difference maker for years to come. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit the head, nail on the head as far as from a defensive standpoint. We're getting back to old school New York Giants football, what we grew up, what at least I grew up falling in love with, the pass rush with the O.C. Minors, the Justin Tucks, the Michael Strands, the Matthias Kiwanukas, the Jason Pierre-Pauls. It's starting to come back to that. So that, that that's what I think a lot of New York Giants fans are really excited about. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, buddy. No, you're all good. I was just going to say for me, it's more, it's like a lot of 30,000 foot view stuff. For a while now, it felt like we're the Giants at least. We were kind of grinding in, a, in the same gear. We couldn't get out into third and fourth gear of the sense that, what you want to do as a football team when you're building a franchise at all times, every good team does this, is they draft well enough that they can re-sign their own players. They don't have to go to free agency every year and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on all these casts off guys that were not re-signed by their own team for a multitude of reasons, a lot due to injury, sometimes due to fit where you can get lucky and get a guy who fits your system better than the other. But even then, it doesn't tend to last. It seems like by the end of those deals, you're trying to get out of them. You're pushing cap back. You're trading these players. And now I finally feel like they have those pieces. They have those building blocks. Nickname the one I'm most excited about, the one I'm second most excited about, I should say, in Dexter Lawrence. But if you look throughout this roster, I feel like right now the Giants finally have a lot of pieces that they can re-sign from within. Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, Saquon Barkley potentially, Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney potentially, the locks being the, the three Julian that I Julian Love. Potentially. I don't know Julian Love potentially for me. Yep. Um, and Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau. So now you have, and potentially, hopefully, you get Evan Neal to come around and start playing better football. But he will, I think, and he and he could. He definitely should. I was mean. Nick and I were very high on him pre-draft wise, but now you finally have a roster that has these building block types where you can get to the offseason. You don't have to be like, oh, let's look at free agency. We have hundreds of millions of cap space, like these Jets and all these bad teams of Jack. And let's just spend it all. Let's just fire it away at these cast offs. We can resign our own finally feel good about that and know that you have the because when you resign your own players versus go to free agency you have so much more information to work with to make that decision to give them all that cap you speak my language man. get all that cap space the giants know these guys they know how they work they know their work ethic they know their injury history and they all these things how they fit in the system all the are they leaders are they not leaders that other stuff if you sign free agency, you just don't know for sure about any of that stuff so now we're finally at a point where i feel like this roster has those pieces they're young they can be re-signed and you know what you're getting when you resign them i love what you said about the cap space thing because i hear this all the time on twitter people bragging about their future cap space yeah. and you know which teams brag about their future cap space the worst teams in the nfl right. the chicago bears like you mentioned in previous years the new york jets Obviously, you don't want a crappy cap situation, but when you have $100 million to spend, there's a reason for it. It's because you didn't draft well and you didn't use your money to retain your players. That's what cap space is intended to do. That's what the best teams do in the NFL. Right. 
when you retain your players, like you said, they continue to grow in the offense and the defense that they're accustomed to in the locker room they're they're familiar with. And even almost equally as important for me, you get compensation picks. When you don't have to go out and sign Kenny Galladay's, when you don't have to go out and sign a Dory Jackson's and say you lose a Julian Love, but you spend the bulk of your money on in-house guys, you're not going to offset those losses, and you'll get fourth and fifth round comp picks. The New England Patriots have been doing it right. for years. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been doing it for years. We talk about building through the draft. That is a part of it. Keeping your guys in-house and not going and getting leftovers of Nate Solders of the world that the Patriots let go. So you hit the nail on the head. Everybody talks about, oh, we're going to have $100 million. I don't want to spend the whatever amount of money we're going to have this year on outside free agents. I want to spend the money on in-house guys yes. and make smart acquisitions to bring in to help this football team. But I don't want to go out there and spend $18 million on a linebacker, $17 million on a wide receiver. That's not the right way to build a football team. I think a primary way or reason why teams end up having all that cap space and they don't retain the talent is a lack of continuity, right? Because teams will just be turning over their general manager, turning over their coach, which we have seen here in New York now over the last, what, half decade. But look at Joe Shane and look at Brian Dable. Those guys are attached at the hip. They are best buddies. They are experiencing immediate success when not a lot of people predicted them to have immediate success. I'm willing to bet that those guys are going to be here for quite a while, which is going to mean that they're going to draft the guys that they want. They're going to vet the guys that they want. We're going to be on this roster who can earn second contracts, and we won't have to be in the mess of signing a guy like Kenny Galladay to a $72 million contract. He caught a touchdown. He did. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see. It was it was, it was was nice to see him finally. The great catch. Yeah. Catch With of the year, I think. Was With there a better catch this year by a giant? Ah, uh, great question. Was there a better catch this year by a giant? Like in term, not obviously not in terms of the importance, but no, no, I know exactly what you mean difficulty. as far as the difficulty of the catch. I don't, I can't think. I of would that. imagine there have been. I think Richie James has had some, and I don't know though, because like that catch, know. like was a little bit awkward though, dude. Like he went up yeah. for it kind of missed it. And then it fell, hit him in the thigh. And he was like, Oh crap, I could just trap this to my thigh. And that's kind of how yeah. he ended up securing it. I think the most important part of the catch, which obviously goes, in, uh, it, it, it's very important is just getting his feet in bounds. That yeah. was the really, really, uh, impressive part. Right. Yeah. But it was nice, to see was nice too. Yeah. Shimmy, Shimmy just commented. Oh shit. Did he? Okay. What did I miss? Oh, Slayton. Slayton versus Dallas was nice. Okay. Yeah. But it was just nice to yeah. see him catch a touchdown. I've Absolutely. seen a lot of giants fans guys this week. Say that, oh, could this mean that Kenny Galladay is going to start to have some kind of role in the offense in the in the postseason? I don't see it, but maybe he's utilized a bit in the red zone. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see if he could play some kind of role in the playoffs. I think he could actually be a better option than Darius Slayton in the red zone, but I don't think he will play because I think the Giants are going to want to keep the continuity. I think they're going to want to they're going to want to keep the wide receiver who's been on the field with Jones the most. Yeah. So when they get into those situations like we've seen in the red zone, where Jones has to escape the pocket, the pocket has to break, and he has to basically rely on his receivers to be on the same page as him as far as where he's moving to and where he wants to throw the football. He's probably going to trust Slayton more. I do still think Galladay gives Jones a better catch radius, a larger catch radius, and much better hands than Slayton in the red zone. But ultimately, I think the continuity will win out. And he's one thing you can say about Slayton, he's always had drop problems. We know that. But he's yeah. always had pretty good chemistry with Daniel Jones. So yep. um, I agree with you. I think they're going to go with what, what's got them there. Hodgins, Slayton, Richie James. Maybe a sprinkle of Galladay. We'll see. Maybe get Cager out there for a couple of plays. He looked yeah. good last week. I'd like to see it. I know I know he's a, a vulnerability in terms of the blocking department, but we need guys that can make plays, and he looked like he could make them last week. I like the idea of using Cager a little bit, but I also like the idea of 
staying with 11 personnel and staying yeah. with what won against the Vikings, not just what won against the Vikings last week, but the last time they played them, but more importantly, what matches up best against what's left of that Vikings defense. Like they just don't have the personnel to match up against the 11 personnel look. So while I do want to mix in Cajun, I'd like to see him in the red zone. I, I would, I, I would be fine if they didn't kind of use either of those two players this week, Cajun or Galladay. Me too. I'd be fine with Yeah. That. I'm a little curious on how Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator of the Vikings, would play a 12 personnel package with Lawrence Cager. True. Because we saw when the Giants rolled out 12 personnel, which wasn't too often against Minnesota because they ran 11 personnel almost the entire game, they would actually respond with their base. At least it happened on the first play of the game. Giants came out in 12 personnel. They responded with base. And I just think having maybe their base personnel package, you can get an advantage from an athletic standpoint with Lawrence Cager because essentially he's a wide receiver. Obviously, Donatel knows that as well. So I'm just curious to see if he would actually roll out their nickel personnel like he did for the majority of the game against the Giants 11 personnel package. I like it. I like it. I want to get on to the other side of the ball in a second. NY Giants 26 says, I've been standing all week, still standing. Let's go. Uh, and he also says, Kate is awesome. Called Madden for an upgrade in the rating. Huh. <laughs> he got Thank it, you. right? Didn't he get it? Yeah, I think he did. Nice. Yeah, he did. Daniel Jones, they gave an upgrade too. They they jumped him from a seventy three to a seventy four. I saw that on Twitter. What what, what point? Respect. Yeah, grace that is. How the hell did they only give him one point? <laughs> What's the point of even doing that if you're only going to give him one? Exactly. Point? And and it, it was it had to be like they were trolling. Like if you're going to do that, you don't make a big yeah. post about it. Like it, you gave you gave him one point. Yeah. Bob, man, thank you. He said I would be okay with dipping our toe in free agency and re-signing our guys. Once a giant, always a giant, baby. Oh. And my last name is Wellington, so I'm a giant for life. Wellington, nice. Mara, there you go. Uh, Bob, oh, man, wow. thank you very much. And I think that's the approach. Let's let's talk briefly about free agency this offseason. Who we think we're going to bring back, who we think we're not. I'll start. Like you said, I think Jones coming back. I think that's fairly obvious at this point. The only question is, what's the contract going to be? Is it going to be three years, four years, franchise tag? But right. I think he's going to be back as a New York Giant in 2023. I think Barkley's going to be back. It may be a franchise tag. It may not, you know, we'll see. But I think in, he's going to be back in some capacity. Some of the players that I think we're going to lose, I think we're going to lose Darius Slayton. The The wide receiver market is so thin. Yeah. And he's one of the five or six most desirable in the NFL. So I think he's going to have at least a decent-sized market. And the Giants are not going to have a ton of money to spend because you start with Barkley and Jones. You got Dexter Lawrence. You're going to have to extend them, I think, this offseason because if you're Dexter Lawrence's agent, with the year that he had, he just got voted as an all-pro. Are you going to allow him to play on a one-year, $10 million contract? It's not going to happen. So you're going to have to extend him, in my opinion. You're going to sign Jones. You're going to sign Barkley. I think Julian Love's going to come back. We'll see. It's interesting because you also got McKinney in a year or two, and how much are you going to dedicate to the safety spot? Right. It seems like they're interested in bringing him back. I think those three core pieces are going to be back. After that, it gets a little dicey. I don't know who's going to be. I think Slayton's gone, if I had to guess, though, and he's probably the next biggest name. Nick Gates, I think he's an interesting guy to talk about whether or not he could be back or not. Um, but I think those three guys will be back in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think you nailed the head on – you nailed it on this one. I think – as far as what I would do versus what I think will happen, those are probably two different things, especially on the Barkley front. If it was up to me, I would not be re-signing Barkley, and I know it's a hard thing to hear for a lot I, of fans. Listen, and I, totally I, I understand, understand yep. your, your perspective on it. Um, yep. I love Saquon Barkley, and even I have come to, to terms with if they don't re-sign him, I will understand it because I look at all the holes on this team, and I look at the fact that they're going to probably have to pay Daniel Jones a decent – I'm thinking at least $26, 27000000 million right. at least when you at look least. at the quarterback market. Yep. Um, 
So I would understand it, but I think they're going to at least franchise take him. But well, I that's my thing. That's that's my thing. It goes back to what you said a little earlier about Dexter Lawrence, right? He has this one year guaranteed deal. The Giants were kind of lucky in that sense. They picked up the option before his breakout. But will the agent okay that? Will the agent accept that? I don't know. I do not think there's any scenario where Saquon Barkley is playing under the franchise tag this next season. So I've completely ruled that out. I don't believe it will happen. I'm set on this. I, I, here's what I'll say. I think you're right. I think they're going to tag him and then just they're going to try to, work, yeah, just to, to buy work time. Out, work out yep. a contract. Yeah. If you could tell me I could get Barkley back on the franchise tag and then we get to let him go next offseason, I'm good with that. Right. But and I'm good with it either way because I've come to terms with it. The Giants love him. He's a good locker room guy. He helps when he's on the field for sure. He's an amazing player right now. The issue with me for re- the issue for me with resigning him is I want to know about what kind of player he's going to be two, three years down the line when we have all this cap space still allocated to him. Yeah. And, you know, the history of running backs after age 27 is not good. The history of running backs after age 27 with already an injury history is not very good. And he has a massive injury history. There's just nothing. You have, he has to be the outlier here, basically. I mean, you could to point to Adrian Peterson. Right, he's got to be Adrian Peterson. Because you could point to Derrick Henry, but even Derrick Henry's breaking down a little bit right now. So it's like anytime anyone points to like the good side of these running back contracts, it's always like, well, yeah, it was good at the beginning, and then it started to get worse and worse as it went on. Zeke is obviously the biggest example. I mean, the fact that they've done what they've done with Zeke Elliott's really held back the Cowboys. They had to trade Amari Cooper. They'd be a completely different team with Amari Cooper this year instead of They lost parts of their line, too. They lost parts of their line, too. They lost Lyle Collins. So there's been a lot of big misses, and they aren't gaining enough from the running back. Having Zeke versus having those guys is a big difference. So it is what it is there. Now, as far as Julian Love goes, you bring up a great point because that's the only other one that's kind of interesting to me because, like you said, in two years from now or one year from now, whenever it is, they have to consider if they want to re-sign McKinney. So now are you giving big money to Love and McKinney? And they don't have the fifth-year option on McKinney because he was right. a second-round pick. Second-round pick, that's a great point. So now you have a lot – because people always like to be like, oh, wow, we can just keep re-signing them all. Well, you can't. You can't no, re-sign. You can't. If you're paying a running back big money and a quarterback big money – then you're going to have to make some decisions, especially when you know you're going to reset the market with Andrew Thomas at some point at left tackle. He's going to get the biggest left tackle deal in the NFL. And Dexter Lawrence is likely going to get the biggest deal for any interior defensive lineman ever. So now we're talking about the Giants will have the two highest paid from each of their positions, a very high paid quarterback, one of the highest, if not the highest paid running back, that doesn't, it's not monopoly money, right? Like there is a cap at some point. They yep. can't just do it for everyone. So love will be the most interesting one to me. I think Nick Gates will come back on a team friendly deal, to be honest. That's just how I see that one shaking out. And that's a great thing. I'd love to have him back. I love Nick Gates, great yeah. depth. And he can start if they need at either left guard or center. It's a great person at back. Love will be the most interesting one for me. I think the, the debate around Saquon Barkley is interesting because on Locked on Giants, Patricia Trainer show, she had uh, Michael Lombardi, former NFL general manager on the show, and he talked about kind of the difficult decision ahead of the Giants with Saquon Barkley. And it's something that Dan and I have discussed. It's how is Saquon Barkley as a receiver? I think a lot of the NFL market's going to look at, I think, his lack of, I would they've say. They've started to use him more, though. I'll say that the last four or five weeks. They've started to use him more as a receiver recently. No, no, like. I understand like he leads the Giants in receptions right now. Yeah, like, he's yeah, important yeah. as that, but I think he only averages like 5.9 yards per catch. Right. I think a lot of NFL general managers around the league are looking at guys like Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and these, these players who have had these big contracts who average like seven, eight, nine yards per catch. Yeah. And when you watch Saquon Barkley, and Dan and I have discussed this in the past, as much as we love Saquon Barkley, and we know if you get the football in his hands, he can just do absolutely dangerous things. But he's not, I feel like, the natural type of receiver 
Like a Kamara. He's not as like a Kamara as yeah. like a Christian McCaffrey. And I'm wondering what that will do to his market. I think he'll get paid by a team who has cap space. If it's not the New York giants, I think John Mara and the giants want to bring him back for all the reasons Dan listed, but I do kind of wish, and there is a part of me and I hate saying this because I do love Saquon Barkley, but there is this part of me that wishes he was a little bit more dynamic as a receiving threat coming out of the backfield. Cause we know this offense and Mike Kafka has attempted to really use his receiving ability out of the backfield. We haven't seen like huge impact recently. We've seen him, the Vikings, game we had a a bit. the Vikings game. He had ten. Did. He had ten targets in the Vikings game. He was a. Yeah. He was a big part of that pass. They were all around the line of scrimmage. They were yeah, all yeah. around the line of scrimmage, though. Yeah. So that that's one thing that I, I look at Saquon Barkley. I'm like, do we really want to pay this guy sixteen, seventeen million dollars a year for what a four year contract, whatever it ends up being? It's it's one thing that gives me a little bit of reservation. I don't think he's getting Barkley. that. I don't think he's getting that. There was a time where I thought he was going to. There but the market might dictate that though. Still, like, I'm what. That's what I'm curious about. Well, I'm wondering. Here's why I don't think he's going to get that. And I'm not saying he's not worth it. I think he's one of the best running backs in football. When, so when, he's, when he's healthy, I think he's yeah. one of the three or four best running backs in football. Have you seen the free agent running back class this year? It's a loaded yeah. class. It is loaded. And I think that's going to hurt his value. I just don't. I, I wish that was right. And I think that should hurt his value, Chris. All logic points. All it that. takes is one team. All it it's takes not even an all it takes is one team thing. I think what it comes down to a lot of times with these contracts is, look, he loves playing for the Giants. The Giants love having him, and they ain't going to lowball him and say, look, oh, look at this market. Josh Jacobs is hitting the market, right? They're not going to be like, because of this, we're not Holy giving powered. you anything. We'll wait it out, and we'll see what happens. I just don't. I think I, they're going to tag him so they could exclude, they could talk to him without him. Without him. other teams getting involved. But either way, he's going to want to be paid what he feels he deserves. Right. And I don't know if the Giants are going to say, we don't care what you feel you deserve. This is what the market dictates. You're taking this. I just don't see that ultimately how it plays out. Do you think he's going to get that 15? You I think, think he's, he's going to get a lot. I think it's going to be between 14 and 16 million per year for sure. Well, how many years, three years, four years. I'm hoping it's two or three, but I think it, I think it'll be three. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, listen, yeah. if, it, if it happens, I'm not going to be upset about it. I think he's a great locker room guy. Um, as long as you make it a deal where you could maybe get out after two years, if things go South, I'd be okay with it. I'd be fine with it. I do think he helped. Look, yeah. you're right, Chris. Also, because look in the end with all of this, it's like, Yes, is a, there's a risk behind re-signing a running back with a major injury history at age, what is he going to be, 26 when he gets yeah, next yeah, year? Yeah. And, and again, like as we've seen in recent studies, age 27 is now the fall-off age for, for running backs, where essentially their production just falls off a cliff. There's risk behind that. But at the same time, what have we seen the Eagles and Cowboys do and a lot of these other teams do over the last few years? The Rams are another example. A ton of cap manipulation. They're just manipulating salary cap. They have all these huge contracts, more than even just the ones I mentioned, Dexter, Andrew Thomas, Barkley, Daniel Jones. And, like, and another thing, as you're talking, I'm thinking about is options down the line if things yeah. aren't going the way that the New York Giants right. maybe envision right now. You could trade them. I mean, you see what, right. you saw what happened with Christian McCaffrey. Good for point. People, for people that say that there's no market for running backs, they got a, a lot. A Super Bowl of team in a Super Bowl window will take that a at a deadline anytime. A Super Bowl yep. window, if, say, you're a – you know, next year we struggle. We're a six or seven win team at the deadline. We say, okay, let's see if we get draft compensation at this point. We'll give Barkley an opportunity to win somewhere else. Right. So you have options going forward. Barkley's a really talented player. And as long as he stays on the football field next year, I think he's only going to get better. Cause I think Evan Neal's going right. to get better. I think Jones is going to get more familiar in the offense. You have to figure we're going to get some help on the outside. You think about what right. one Barkley could be if he has a legitimate threat on the outside that a defense has to account for. So true. I don't think it's the end of the world like a lot of fans make it out to be. Let's I agree with you on that. I don't either. Yeah.
Yeah. And John, man, thank you very much. He says, we need to replace Darnay, the holding machine. Sick of seeing him uh, bail out opposing offenses with his stupid holds every other third down. <laughs> I get that, John. Look, I completely agree with you that we could have a better option in the slot and coverage. The one thing I will say, though, about Darnay Holmes is he offers something that, you know, Grant Haley offered it for a little while when he was with the Giants. But his ability to attack downhill on the line of scrimmage on these run plays, on these quick screens, these quick hitting outside bubble screens to receivers. Darnay Holmes does a fantastic job. And he's only five foot nine. And he's not that. Big I'll tell either, you what, but, he made one yeah. tackle on a bubble screen when I was at, I think it was the Colts game. Colts game, yep. What a, I was, I thought it was Julian Love at first. Then I'm like, yeah. oh, that was Darnay Holmes. Right. Uh, you're right. Up at the line of scrimmage, he's played, he's played well this year. He's a hard hitter, but he does get lost to coverage a lot. Yeah, he grabs in coverage. He's not a great nickel coverage corner. They can certainly use an upgrade in coverage. Yeah. But, and I think they, I think, I think if I had to predict right now, I think Robinson's going to be the slot next year. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. But that's what I think, or him or flop. But I'm. I also sure. think you're right because I think, and a lot of Giants fans aren't going to want to hear this, and I'll have to look at the draft class. Drafting really a corner in the, the first round. I think they're going to go corner a lot higher than people realize. I, I think ultimately, and it's it's crazy to say because I'm so happy. I'm not happy. I'm, I'm like medium with how it worked out because both would have been amazing options. But if both Thibodeau and Sauce were on the board, I'm I'm very confident the Giants would have taken Sauce Gardner over Thibodeau based on what went I would have been shocked. If we didn't take sauce, if he, right. if he was if he was there, if he was now it would have been cool to see if they would have went sauce Garner at five and Thibodeau at seven and pushed off tackle, which actually would have been really interesting to see. And I know they really wanted to tackle; they felt locked in on that. But if if they had a chance at sauce and Tibbs was still on the board and they had such a high grade that I think they had on Tibbs, it might have been. An, and ultimately, I think that would have been better for them long term. No offense, no. And I like Evan Neal long term. I don't like him on nearly on the level of a Thibodeau or Sauce as a prospect. I mean, here's what I'll say: based off what we've seen from Tibbs this year, and I'm a huge line guy. Yeah. Um, I would have said that probably would have been the better option. I mean, right now, Sauce looks like the best cornerback in football. In his yeah, year. which is crazy. He's the first guy in the history. I went back and I talked to someone from Pro Football. Now, it's Pro Football Focus. I want to be clear, take their grades at times with a grain of salt. But for ge generally, they're pretty close. And I talked to someone from Pro Football Focus. He went back through the whole database. There's never been a corner as a rookie who was ranked as their number one rated corner in the history of, of since they started wow. doing it. And Sauce was the first guy to do it. I, you know what, guys? I think the Jets are like the opposite of the Giants. In yeah. the sense that they are great at drafting cornerbacks. Right. We are not. <laughs> yeah. We're better at a lot of other things than them. But in terms of their about Darrell Reeves, in my opinion, one of the top three yes. cornerbacks. And, and now they got Sauce Gardner. So I wish we could get their ability to bring in great cornerbacks. But yeah. I'm sure they would like a lot of things that we're, we, we've been able to bring in <laughs> over the last couple of years. But I'm uh, anything to add, Nick? In terms of just the cornerback position, and I see people in the comments discussing it, I think Cordell Flott is somebody who can play that. on the outside, possibly start on the outside moving forward, which is to your point, Chris, I think you can move Aaron Robinson back to what I believe is his natural position as that apex, that nickel defender in the slot. And I really liked Aaron Robinson's film going back to college. I thought he was another one who was aggressive in run support, and he has all the movement skills in terms of his ability to play man coverage. I think that would be an upgrade over Darnay Holmes. And Darnay Holmes... Dan already touched on it. I really appreciate his pound for pound strength and what he does in run support, reading screens. I think he's a very smart player. He's grabby. He was grabby a little bit at UCLA yeah, too when he was playing the boundary and he was playing outside. So I, I'm, I remain high on Cordell Flop though. And that was one guy that I wasn't really 100% certain. And I think there's only room for growth with a young player like that. I remember that kid was what, 20 years old when the New York Giants drafted him. He weighed like 132 pounds or something like that, right? So now you just put, feed him those PB&Js, man. Shove him down his throat, get him back out there and he'll, 
I really do think he can be a, a starter moving forward on the outside with a Dory Jackson or if the Giants, and I think Dan might be onto something too, if the Giants aren't so sure about that, they might invest in the cornerback position as well because we've seen the Giants bring in how many of these corners that are going to be playing on Sunday were not with right. the Giants training camp. Quite a yeah. few. It's actually Quite remarkable. It, remarkable that Joe Shane was able to find these players who fit in pretty damn well. I know they got torched in certain games, but let's think about it, man. Wink Martindale puts a lot of pressure on kids like Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau and Cordell Flott. And generally they're speaking, they're going to have a lot like of pressure well. this week, guys. They're going to have a lot of pressure this week. Those <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think, I mean, like I went through the Green Bay game to see what exactly the Packers did with Justin Jefferson. And I'm not a big Joe Barry fan, their defensive coordinator. I feel like he did a phenomenal job against the Vikings. And I think Justin Jefferson is not going to see a lot of one-on-one. He will when the Giants decide to run cover zero and when they decide to blitz and they do things like that because Wink Martindale will wink, pressure breaks pipes. He's going to do those things. But I think you're going to see a little bit more, maybe too high type of stuff than we're accustomed to seeing, which we saw against the Vikings anyway. I mean, the Giants ran out of crap load of cover six, which is not Wink Martindale's specialty. Cover six is cover four to one side of the field, cover two to the other side of the field. So you have more guys deep. What happened the next week when the Green Bay Packers played them? Bunch of cover six. Over 20% of their snaps were cover six. Green Bay's not a huge cover six they team. I think they ran it like too. Green Bay smoked them. They smoked them. So I think I think teams might have saw what Wink Martindale did. And even though it didn't work because Justin Jefferson went off, they said, let's try it our way. And they even put a more heavy emphasis on Justin Jefferson with those in-breaking routes because he's really dangerous on those in-breaking routes. And you could see, man, if you watch that Green Bay game, Justin Jefferson's aligning in the slot right off the tackle. He's aligning out wide. It didn't matter. And it wasn't even always Jair Alexander. There was just always so many eyes on him. And I just felt like the Packers did such a good job driving top down on any in-breaking routes. And getting after Kirk Cousins. And that's going to be the other big part of this game, bro. You have to get pressure on Kirk Cousins. And it doesn't have to be with seven. It doesn't have to be with six. It could be with five. It could be with four. And with those injuries on the Vikings offensive line, I'm confident that Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and Aziz Ojolari can get pressure with just four. So you don't have to be as blitz happy. And now you can have more eyes to allocate towards Justin Jefferson. That's 1,000% what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to double Jefferson for the majority of the game. I think uh, what I expect the Vikings to do, because the Vikings know what we're going to do, I think. Um, and I do think we're not going to blitz nearly as often as we normally do. I think we're going to try to send four against their banged up offensive line. They got weapons all over the field. I think what the Vikings are going to do to combat it, they're going to run a lot of wide receiver bubble screens. They're going to get a lot of quick passes out. You remember that screen that set up the 61 yard field goal against Mm -hmm. us in that game. I think you're going to see a lot of plays like that. And I'm going to tell you, I've said it all week. The guy that worries me more in this game is actually Hawkinson. I'm more worried about Hawkinson than I am Jefferson because I think we're going to double Jefferson, like you said, and he's going to get his yards. But we all know that we struggle mightily against the tight end, and we all know that Hawkinson cooked us the first time around. He had that really good – I think he had like 12 catches or something, and he had that really good catch in the back of the end zone. So that's the guy I got my eye on. But at the same time, we didn't have McKinney in that game. So he could play a big factor in this matching up potentially against a guy like TJ Hawkinson couple things to add first on the more long-term discussion that we were that we were touching on before about the corner position Cordell Flott is a player who Nick and I had Eric Crocker former NFL defensive back on our podcast right before the draft and he breaks down tape on these corners he's got a really good eye for corner talent he before we even drafted him before we even on to him he said keep an eye on this kid Cordell Flott and then I was listening to a breakdown from LSU coaches and they were like yeah everyone's talking about Derek Stingley but when you watch the tape Cordell Flott looks pretty damn good and so I still think that could be and I love when we picked him because that's my type of pick you take a 20 year old who has not developed yet not only with his body but with his skill set 
it as a player and you say, here, develop with our coaches. We, you, we got the right coaches for you. We got Henderson. We got the right staff here with Wayne Martindale. You'll learn from us. You'll develop and you'll be a different player than the one who we drafted. So I'm very high on flat long-term, but I still think they could go corner early to my earlier point because I'm not so sure Adoree Jackson is definitely part of the picture long-term. And I love I agree with you. Jackson, I think but there's an injury history. Yeah, right. Think, There's an injury history and he was brought in by the last half. Yeah, yeah so even if they love Flot, they could still look to get more on that note. Now, on the second note, the matchup for this week, something that's really interesting that I was just discussing with Matthew Collier, who covers the Vikings, is that with Brian O'Neill out, their right tackle, a lot of what they did, and they've been really, and let me preface it by saying this, Chris and Nick, they've been really unsuccessful running the ball this year. The transition from Clint Kubiak's system to the one that they're running now with O'Connell, the way Matthew Collier described it, he's like, he, Kevin O'Connell, their head coach, basically views the running game as like the vegetables on the plate full of steak. It's like, I guess <laughs> I'll eat them, but I really don't want to do it. The Giant, the, the Vikings have a 53.5% pass rate on first down, but the only, and they're 28th in DVOA in rushing. So they are one of the worst running teams in the NFL. Dalvin Cook, he said, has one of the lowest yards over expectation of all running backs in the NFL. They, they basically describe it as him hitting a wall as a running back as he's aged. But one thing that they found success is running behind right tackle Brian O'Neill. Right tackle Brian O'Neill is out for this game. He will not be playing for the Vikings. And as I mentioned earlier, they're starting one of two horrific options there at right tackle. So like you guys said, I love Wink Mardell. I want to let him wink. I'm so excited about him bringing pressure, but this is not the game for it. Let your front four dominate this game. Don't worry about their run game because they don't run a lot of power and gap. They just run zone. Giants are really good at stopping zone runs. They can't stop power and gap concepts. So just simply let it be and drop, like Nick said, play cover six. Put those guys in the back. So when Cousins is dropping back and looking for Jefferson or Hawkinson, like you mentioned, there's more guys in the area to potentially get their hand in a pass lane or do something like that. So I really think with the injuries on that line and how bad they've been running the football the Vikings you got to rely on that front four for pressure and just to win up front that's the key to the game for me is 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 Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams because I, I think they could overtake this game against that third string center um and and like you said O'Neal on, on the right side as well I think Kayvon could, could feast off uh, against him but I think our pass rush if we're going to win this game that's going to be what yes. wins it. that that's going to be what wins this game Durant says, how do you guys feel about this team's depth moving forward to the offseason after observing Sunday's Philly game? I still think we have a lot of holes in terms of depth. Um, and listen, they played a whale of a bowl game. And and, and I, I think that goes to the coaching staff as much as it does to the players. Not taking anything away from the players. The players play. The defense played their butts off. They played incredible. I don't think the Eagles scored a touchdown in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. They did like, not. The defense was great um, this past weekend. It was all backups, and I definitely think we have some depth. I think we have some depth in the secondary. I think we mentioned Cordell Flott. We got Aaron Robinson coming back. I would like another high-end cornerback because I think that would only help Wink Martindale to be as aggressive as he potentially wants to be. I think we need some more depth on the defensive line. As good as Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence are, we certainly need some more depth there. Our linebacking core is non-existent. Um, we need at least two linebackers, so – on the defense, we need a ton of depth. The offensive line, we could use some depth. So we definitely still need to continue to build up this roster. So I'm happy with a lot of the growth from this team this year, but we still got a ways to go. Yeah, the linebacker, the linebacker position is the one that Dan and I talk about a lot on the Big Blue Banter podcast. We really feel like there should be an emphasis. Which, by the way, guys, sub them up. My mods are going to drop the uh, the link in the chat as we're talking. So sub them up. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to make sure people check out your channel. Oh, thank you, everybody. Yes, and I just think. 
investing in that position is prudent. It's wise right now because the biggest vulnerability on this defense is any team that decides to run any sort of counter or gap type of run. We've seen it all season. Giants been gouged by it from the Eagles to Jacksonville down in Florida, basically the entire year. That's why the Giants have done so much better against these zone-based teams like the Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. But if you want to pull alignment, Giants, they just could not key and diagnose that all year. It's been a really big struggle. Yeah, and you're 100% right. And I will say this about depth as a whole in general. I think when you have the right coaches and culture in place, depth can start to look a lot better. You're going to start to see things like we saw last weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles, where on paper, it kind of looks like the Giants don't have anywhere near the depth they need to play a full back, a full row of backups on both sides of the ball. But then the game plays out and you're like, wait a second. They kept it close. Wink Martindale did some really interesting things to, to force Jalen Hurts out of the pocket, to get him on the move, to get him off his uh, original reads that he wanted to throw to. And like you said, they didn't score a touchdown in the entire second half. And then on the offense side of the ball, they found some ways to move the ball there too with Davis Webb, who's never started an NFL game. Davis Webb. Right? And a <laughs> slew of backups across the board in addition to him. And so I do think that when you have really good coaching and really good just overall general manager coaching comment. As Nick said before, like it seems like Brian Dable and Joe Shane are really lockstep with it, with each other. It makes depth look a little bit better because everybody's bought, bought in, everybody's locked in and they're really taking well to the coaching. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and by the way, as we improve our depth, that is going to help. What I think right now is the thing I'm most petrified about going into the playoffs. And it's the thing that you constantly overlook the special teams. Oh. As you improve the depth, that will improve the special teams. But our special teams, every time we kick off, if the team returns it, I, oh. I'm holding my breath. I hate our specials, Chris. It kills me. Any, every part of our spec, but not every part, right? Because we do have the seventh highest field goal percentage. We have a great field goal. Oh, we got one of the best kickers in the so league. So it's not the full special teams, but every other part of the special teams, man, has been really bad at times this year. Every other aspect of it. So... You're right about that, but I, I hold my breath on kickoffs. I hold my breath on punts. We've had punts blocked. Like it's, we fumbling punt returns. It's what just, was with the fake field goal this past week? What was that? I think they're just trying different. They were stuff trying stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they were just getting cute. I'm yeah. fine with that in a game like that. Get yeah, cute. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. 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 yeah, but the special teams has been eh, not 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 a big fan of the special teams this year. Tudo says, massive salute. They respect the Chris, Dan, Nick, Mr. Gutso, and all the Dyer Giants fans in the house from Munich, Germany, and slap nice. all the stinky boys loses. What's going on, Tudo, man? Good to see you, buddy. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fellow Paisan. Hester says, Nick, what do you feel is DJ? This is a good question. I want to get everybody's uh, answer on this. What do you feel is DJ's ceiling? Um, I guess it, get, any, any, that's what I meant to say, any quarterback comparison in terms of a prior quarterback. Yeah, I'm not a big quarterback comp guy because everybody's perception of a quarterback is different. I'm not really big on the comparison game. And I haven't really watched all the other quarterbacks. Like I watch Daniel Jones every single week. Right. But I feel like his ceiling is significantly higher than what I felt like in the beginning of the year. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that he has the potential to develop an arm like Patrick Mahomes or anything like that. But I do think you can have a winning culture and a winning football team with Daniel Jones, who time and time again this season has put the team on his back and led game-winning drives. And that's all we really asked for from Daniel Jones. Can you win or lead this game-winning drive. I mean, think about what he did against Green Bay when he had to drive 99 yards. Wasn't it 99 or 95 yards? And that was without Saquon, Barkley. Without Saquon Barkley, exactly. And he's done that throughout this entire year. I still think with another year in this system with Brian Dable, 
with Brian Dable's tutelage, with Mike Kafka, if he is still here, knocking on wood, hopefully he is. Daniel Jones can still develop because I think he has the traits to make all the throws. There are just times where I feel like he's a little hesitant to pull the trigger. And that's one thing that I hope can be cleared up and I hope that he can be a little bit more confident, but that could come with a little bit more time in this system because I feel like the arm talent is there. We know the athletic ability is there and I feel like he has done a better job processing pre to post snap because this coaching staff is putting him into a better position right now. And his pocket awareness has gotten significantly oh, so much better. better. Significantly mm-hmm. better. You've really noticed that the last, not last week because he didn't play, but the two weeks prior to that, uh, with those both those touchdown throws near the goal line, um, he did a great job in terms of sensing the pressure. Quarterback comp, yeah, I I get, I know that's like a popular thing to say, and people ask me this question all the time. I think for sure he could be a top ten quarterback in the NFL. I, for sure. I think he could be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And a matter of fact, I think he's already pretty close to being a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I think that speaks as much to the overall talent at the quarterback position right now as anything else, because there's not a lot of great quarterbacks right now in the league. There's good ones. And you have some very super high-end ones like Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Herbert Lawrence. But after that, to me, there's a grouping of about 10 guys, and he's in it. Um, And if you give this guy the pieces – I think he can win you a lot of football games. I think he's demonstrated that this year. That's why I've been as outspoken as I've been to what that I want him back. I want him back. I want him to continue to grow with the players on this team and this offense. In terms of a comparison, I, people bring up Alex Smith. Uh, to me, he's got a much bigger arm than Alex Smith ever had. Alex Smith had a noodle for an arm. I understand from a mobility standpoint, he plays in a similar fashion in terms of limiting the turnovers. And he came up with a very similar upbringing to Alex Smith, who had like five different OCs in his first six years or whatever it was. I think he's got a much higher ceiling than Alex Smith ever did. Alex Smith was a guy that knew his limitations and got the most out of his ability. But I think he's above a guy like that in terms of his ceiling. Um, it, it's tough, though, because there's not a whole lot of – it's it's tough because he's – Oh, I'm trying to think what I compare. I think he's I think he's be- similar, I guess, to a Tannehill, but better. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Tannehill, but I guess a similar type of playing style. But I think I think he could be better than him. Before Dan answers, I'm really interested to see what Dan's going to say too. If he can continue to do what he did against the Vikings when he attacked the field side on that post wheel to Richie James, and he consistently starts to make defenses pay for not playing every inch of the field, which is something that I feel like defensive coordinators have done to Daniel Jones. They essentially disrespected him. They were like, we're going to take our cornerback to the field side. And what I mean by field side, that means the wide side. You have the hashes, right? If you're on the right hash, then to the left, that entire field, how it's wider, Jack Del Rio would take that cornerback and bail him to a deep half, essentially saying, I don't think you're going to throw the football to any kind of out route outside the numbers because maybe you're not confident or that's just not what this offensive coordinator is asking you to do. Whatever it was, they weren't making that throw. But against Minnesota, he did. On the post wheel, Kenny Galladay kind of created a pick for Richie James to come from the number two. It was just a switch release, something the Giants do all the time. And Daniel Jones diagnosed it quickly and fired the football. And I know he has the velocity. I know he has the arm talent to do it. It's you just see the con- Slayton throw? Where he's falling down to the ground? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, no, that 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 that's all well in there. I'm just talking about from I don't even know if confidence is the right word, but just you have the arm talent to do it. Make the defenses pay if they're not going to play every inch. And if he keep consistently does that and he continues to do that next season, if he is here as a New York Giant, I feel like I will be much more confident about his future, even though I'm already pretty confident about it. Yeah. Yeah. As far as it goes for me as NFL comps go. I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys. And it's not that I don't like, I I don't love doing the comps, but I also just feel like there isn't really a great comp for what he can be. So on the Alex Smith comp, if you're just looking at his 20, this current season, his breakout season, it is very similar to some of Alex Smith's best. And his upbringing too, with the instability. And his upbringing, it was a great point with all the OCs, but this specific season is very, um, 
is very comparable, right? It, not many Dan Jones has not tempted many passes that were above 20 yards. They've mostly been one between one and 20 yards. I think he has 4.6% of his total passes have been pl- 20 plus yards in the air, similar to what Alex Smith did. He, Alex Smith in his high season ran for 495. Jones runs for more. He ran for 700 plus. I think he's a bigger running threat. But I think what you said, Chris, is best. Like, it's not a good comp long term. The, the question was, what's his ceiling? His ceiling is not Alex Smith because he has a bigger arm than Alex Smith. And you said it best. But one thing Alex Smith did do, especially later in his career, once he matched with Andy Reid, was he started to throw down the field a little bit more with a little bit more frequency. He started to create bigger plays with his arm, just throwing the ball down the field. So for me, if Jones is going to reach a ceiling, and again, I don't really know what that is. In some ways, I think it's kind of like, just to throw a name out there, some, and this is a crazy name to put out there. So it's not like, don't go crazy with it, but somewhat like a Steve Young type is kind of what I see. His play style is similar. Play style, yeah. Play style. Now, Steve Young's one of the top 10 quarterbacks. Yes, time. I'm not comparing. I'm not saying, and we're talking about ceiling here. We're not saying what is he going to be. We're talking about ceiling. Yes. But what it all comes down to for me is exactly what Nick said. There's still, to me, if you're going to be an elite top five quarterback in the NFL, you need to attack all areas of the field consistently to the point where defenses are adjusting how they play you because of where you're attacking. And to me, there's still areas of the field where Daniel Jones is not attacking. Outside the numbers, between 15 yards and above, he's just not attacking those areas early and often. Now, my whole thing is, how do you get there? It's what Nick said. If you get more comfortable in the system and you start to have receivers who you trust to win in those spots, you may start to then throw the ball to those spots because Nick and I both believe he has the arm talent to do it. But part of it is not just arm talent. Part of this is on him mentally. It has to click for him. He has to be, make these decisions quick, and he has to get the ball out there. There was a play that Steven Ruiz broke down on Twitter, and a lot of Giants fans piled on and went crazy on him because no one can accept any criticism, it feels like, at times for the quarterback. But Steven made an interesting point. It was a very simple uh, route combination where the corner came down on a cover, too and there was an open go round. Jones just threw the underneath. Oh, I know the exact play you're talking about. And it's fine. That's what they're teaching him to do this season. It's what they want him to do. They want him to get the ball quick. The Giants have the sixth best completion percentage in the NFL. They don't fumble the ball on offense. They don't throw interceptions. The whole goal of this offense is keep this thing moving. Efficient throws, efficient runs. They're they've the eighth best rushing DVOA. They have I, all sorts of efficiency. They don't turn the ball. So I get it for now. But yeah. if he wants to reach that ceiling of top five or even better, then he has to start consistently attacking those areas. Because in the playoffs, that's where those types of quarterbacks stand out. Because 100%. Defenses, yeah, because defenses can take away the middle of the field. But if you are a type of quarterback who can hit the outs, hit, hit outside the numbers with consistency, there's no real way to stop him. Remember that comeback that Trevor Lawrence made a few, uh, like five, six weeks ago, I think it was against the Ravens. He was just ripping balls outside the numbers. And there was no way for the Ravens to stop him. There's no defense to stop a quarterback who can do that. And Daniel Jones has the arm talent to do that. So it's just a matter of when he starts to be more willing, I guess, or just when it starts to click for him where he's starting to recognize the coverages post-snap real fast where he can make those throws. And I think next year you're going to see it more. I think next year – I'm not saying he's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I'm not, I don't know what he's going to be. But I think next year you're going to see a more aggressive Daniel Jones because I think they're going to get him more help, and I think they're going to instill that into him. I think some of it definitely has to do with what they're telling him too. Because they know the limitations of this right. team. They're saying, get the first down. Move the chains. Don't turn the football over. I think that's been the mission this year. It was a very similar mission with Josh Allen in his second year. Not, you know, I know Jones on his fourth year. But I'm just saying, with Josh Allen in his second year, he cut down on the turnovers a ton. Then they got him step on digs. They started to open up the offense. So that is what I think it's trending towards next year. I think we're going to go out. We're going to get him some weapons. And you're going to start to see them open up this offense next year. That's just what I think. And I think you've started to see it. 
over the season. We're not we're, we're not near where we want it to be yet, but we're starting to see them gradually open it up. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about the future of this team. Peter says, keep I want to talk one more, one more point on. Yeah, go on, go ahead. Jones. Yeah. I don't know if Nick want to jump into, I'll just get this out there. Part of why I'm more excited about his ceiling than I've literally ever been. This is the most excited I've been about Daniel Jones since not literally after the, t- it's impossible to not have been more excited after that first game against Tampa Bay. Yeah. I literally felt like maybe the giants drafted like the next freaking Baden man. He was so good in that game. And that's one game. That's always how it's going to feel on a one game sample size when someone has that good of a game. But right. since that moment, this is the highest I've been. And it's because there are some things that he's improved on this year that I just didn't know were possible. The pocket presence is great. And it's the most important thing, but I thought that was possible. I thought he, could get better with his pocket manipulation and pocket feel but his ability to throw on the run while moving off platform and create these off platform plays it's not and something been i was multiple. sure there's been more oh, it's throws. all littered throughout his film this year and it's not something i'm sh- i was sure that was going to ever happen going into this year Tell i was you break down film and you do a great yeah. job we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the Win Bet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the Win Bet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During Win Bet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on Win Bet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. 
There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death, and I enjoyed it. I was parched, and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. I'm going to tell you some of what I, off the top of my head, and I'm sure you're going to remember other ones. Off the top of my head, I'm going to give you some throws that I didn't necessarily know that Daniel Jones had in his arsenal before this year started. First one is the Slayton throw that we, we just talked about earlier. Going, going to, I know it's only a 10 or 12-yard throw, but the zip that he was able yeah. to get it to without th- stepping into it. The other one was the Texan game where he hit Slayton, where it was across the field, hash to hash, couldn't step into the throw, was flat-footed, and that was the one where Slayton ran it in for 50 yards or whatever after the catch. But the throw to me, when I saw him make it, I was like, I'm, if that's Alex Smith, that's a pick six because I don't think he has the zip to be able to get it there in that fashion. Another one that really impressed me, the throw to Richie James that set us up for the 60-whatever-yard field goal for Graham Gano. If yeah. you recall, the first, I, who did we play that game? It was um, the game we lost when Gano missed the 60-yard field goal. Who was that? Uh, was that not not Detroit? Um, I don't remember what, what game that was. Nick, do you remember this one? It was was it a last-second field goal? Yeah, yeah. We're Gano, yeah, we had a Gano last tried it out for a last-second field goal. Missed like a 60-yard. Why am I not remembering this? Somebody's like, going to say it in the chat. Somebody's so it. Help us in the chat. Washington tie. It was the Washington oh, the tie. tie. Yes, the tie. The yeah. throw to you said loss. So that was that threw me up off. for that field goal. Yes. Where he fit. I don't know how he fit it in there. So he's made some throws this year that I didn't know he had in him. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of them have been, some of them have been, like you mentioned, in a lot of those spots, those were in the pocket, but a lot of them have been outside the pocket when he's off strut, when he's forced off platform and to create out structure. My favorite throw this year, actually, there's a lot of them, so it's hard to pick. But my favorite throw might have been the two-point conversion throw to Bellinger against the Vikings because he he did something that he doesn't always do, and it's something that plagued him in that Dallas loss in Dallas where he missed Saquon Barkley in the flat. And a throw that he'd tell you he wants back, he changed his arm slot, which allowed him to change the trajectory of the football. And that he threw it on a three-quarters angle, uh, three-quarters arm slot, and that got the ball just over the defender and right into the hands of Bellinger, but not too high because then Bellinger would have been out of bounds. It's literally a, the perfect throw in that spot. And so that was just one area that I think he's improved that I wasn't necessarily sure he would. Another area is something that really clicked that, that Nick said a little bit earlier. When you see things that happen like we saw against Washington, so it's literally week to week. Against Washington, Nick, Nick brought it up. What um, who's their coordinator? Jack Del Rio was doing was really interesting. Honestly, there were times where he just rotated that corner from the field side out into into the deep half and said, F it. I'm leaving that field side wide open. And you could even see it. Hodgins putting his hand up. These wide receivers on the outside, putting their hands up, throw the ball, throw the ball. Jones didn't throw it. So what happened the very next week? 
He made the Vikings pay with those two throws, the long one to Hodgins on the sideline and the long one to James off the switch release. He literally picked that up, and that's what really stands out to me. Jones took to the coaching. He recognized it. He was obviously told that. Like, they watched the film. They're like, look, Daniel, you had this. But then it's one thing to know it and hear from the coaches, and it's another thing to actually apply it when the bullets are flying and you're snapping the football and there's a pass rush coming at you, and you really have to recognize this thing fast. And when he did that and when he made those two throws against the Vikings, literally the week after that defensive coordinator basically just gave him the field side, that showed something to me. That showed so, like that showed to me like this guy is really clicking and picking up this system. Good stuff, man. Nick, go ahead, buddy. I was just going to reiterate a lot of what Dan said. It's really just noticing and then applying it. I want to see him apply it. And I think that's the only way he can reach his ceiling. We're starting to see breadcrumbs of that because as accurate as Jones has been and as efficient as his offense has been, that's all well and good. He still has one of the lowest yards per attempt in the league. And I think we have to be honest about that, right? We just want that to grow a little bit. And I think a lot of that is the coaching point that you were talking about, Chris. I think the coaching staff is telling him, look, if you don't love what you see, don't push it, Okay. Use your legs. That B gap comes open, run the football. That's all well and good if you don't love your first read. And we've seen Jones do that time and time again. But recently, we're starting to see him challenge a little bit more vertically. And if he can carry that into the wild card game, the Giants win the wild card game, the divisional round, and then into next year, I think that's the way we can get Daniel Jones to reach his ceiling. And that ceiling, I'm not really 100% certain where that ceiling lies, but we need to see that on a more consistent level for um, for us to really believe that he's going to reach it. Yeah, and I hope he does. <laughs> Pete says, keep in mind this is Daniel's first playoff game, and we only have 17 players with playoff experience. Keep in mind this is no cakewalk. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this, because Brian Dable was asked about this, and I am keeping that in mind, by the way. Dan uh, Eli Manning, his first playoff game was horrible. That We didn't get the ball over the 50-yard line against oh, the Carolina. Carolina? Oh, I remember yeah. that game. That and I think a lot of game. that, by the way, had to do with the fact that John Fox used to be the D.C. for the New York Giants, and maybe he knew some of the tendencies yes. with the team. But regardless, we got our clocks cleaned in that game, and Eli Manning was atrocious. I think he threw like 100 yards, maybe a three picks. Like, he was bad. Um, But do you think experience is important? come playoff time or do you think it's overrated i've seen yeah dable was asked that question i kind of think it is uh i think it's important i know he kind of deflected it and said the opposite i still think it is important just to kind of get your feet wet in the playoffs and jones kind of talked about it at the podium too look before every game you kind of have some nerves and stuff like that well this is playoffs it's lights are a little bit brighter i do think there is value in actually getting to the playoffs and and getting that much closer to your end goal, which is winning a Super Bowl. So I know Dable kind of deflected the question a little bit away from what I just said, but I, I think there is definitely value. But at the end of the day, Dable preaches like the same thing, right? We're treating every week the same. Preseason week one is the same as the wildcard week, but we're all freaking human. We know that's not true. And, and just Dable's not going to admit that to the media. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just to add to that, I think I'm pretty much in lockstep with what Nick said, just maybe a little bit lower on that scale of how important it is to have the experience. I just think a lot of what football comes down to is matchups. First of all, that's the most important thing, in my opinion, and doing your job and executing like Dable, basically like all these good coaches preach. And so, you know, they go into this game, they go into any game, they still have to execute. They still have to do their assignments, still have to do their job to the best of their ability if it's a playoff game or if it's not. And you can see that every week the Giants have played, they've kind of had that mentality. Some games haven't been as good as the others. The Eagles game got out of hand early and it felt like we were kind of blown out in that game, but I didn't see any quit in the team, even in a game like that. So 
it is worth something. I just don't know how much it is worth. It's it's one of those hard things to quantify. It's just like the whole argument last week of like, should the Giants trot out every starter against the Eagles or should they not? It's very hard to quantify that. But one thing I can quantify is if Andrew Thomas goes down in that game, we are a much worse team for this game. That's the, that was my oh, whole point. Like, there's things you can't quantify. This team, if they got injuries, you can quantify that's going to hurt them. I'm not so sure how much you can put tangible quantification into like, you know, if we play our guys hard in week 18, will they be have the same momentum as if we don't? So that's the harder thing. I think it was the perfect scenario this past week. We got to rest our guys oh, 100%. And, we, and we still built momentum. Yep. So everything everything worked out perfectly for the, you know, for and I was one of those people. I I didn't want them to I I under, I was a person that definitely understood sitting them as well, but I was a guy I don't want to lose that momentum either going into the playoffs. Right. You got the best of both worlds. You got the rest of your starters, and you still built confidence going into the playoffs. So it were it worked out perfectly for. And I know you said you had to go around seven, so I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna actually jump off, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great, Chris. We got to do this again sooner than the this gap between this one and the last one. So we'll, we'll gonna, let's let's make a deal right now. And Nick's okay. gonna stay on. If we win this week, we'll do it again next. Okay, week. Okay, done. Lock Love it. it. So we're Locking. doing it again next week because we're going to win. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I haven't been more confident going to the playoff game, and that may be a good thing or a bad thing, but in a long time. So I'll end it on that note. You guys carry the rest. Good talking to you both, and go Giants. Be good, See man. You, Dad. Enjoy, enjoy the pod, man. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to rain on Dan's parade there, but I was going to say maybe it's because we haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. But guess what? <laughs> That's going to change up right now, Chris, because the New York Giants have some professionals in the house with Joe Shane and Brian Dable. And we're going to talk some playoff football because I'm getting to Andrew Marchese's chat after this, and he, he's saying we got to talk playoff football. We're going to talk about this game. We're going to talk to you guys. King Casper says, re-sign Saquon, DJ Love, sign Edmund. Deontay Foreman for a power running back behind Saquon, trade a two for DJ Moore. That's a lot. That's a fantasy offseason. Use a one on a cornerback, <laughs> third on interior offensive line, rest on the – listen, if they have enough cap space, sure. I don't know what Edmund's market's going to be. I know DJ Moore makes a boatload of money. He makes like $20 million a year. Um I don't know if they'd have the cash space to do something like that, but I would love it. You can't, the Edmonds you- thing is interesting to me too, Chris, because this is obviously someone that Joe Shane and Brian Dable are really familiar with. And that dude is so freaking long and so young. He's only 24 years old and he's been in the league since I think 2018. He was drafted, I think the same year as Josh Allen, if I'm not mistaken. So I would be really open to bringing Edmonds in. Yeah. Like middle the ties to Buffalo. It makes sense. That's what, that's why, that's, that's why people bring it up. Andrew Mark Casey says, yo, Screw the offseason stuff. <laughs> you realize we play the Vikings in the playoffs in a few days, right? Let's talk a little bit more about it, man. How confident are you going into this game? And we've talked about where we stack up well against them, the defensive line. And I'm going to tell you what, I think we stack up well offensively too. Matter of fact, I think almost every team in the league stacks up well offensively against them because their defense stinks. Um, but tell me, how confident are you as a fan going into this football game? I'm confident. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm overly confident. I'm not going into this game and I'm typically kind of reserved with stuff like this. Yeah. I'm not going into this game, Chris, being like the Giants are going to win, right? Like I can say that like in a um, you know loose fashion, but I don't necessarily think that because I think there's so much football that can be played and we've seen good teams lay eggs before. I don't think the Giants are going to be that type of team, but if you had to sit me down and say, Nick, what do you think is going to happen with this matchup and try to be unbiased? I think the Giants should win this football game because of the injuries on that offensive line, because of the Giants defensive line, because of how well this Giants offense is playing and passing the football out of 11 personnel and how well they're running the football out of 11 personnel. Look, man, this team the entire year, Chris, they were running the football out of 12 personnel. They were bringing six offensive linemen for a while. Like there were so many iterations of this Mike Kafka offense throughout the 
year. And now they're running out of 11 personnel and they're actually have a better EPA running out of 11 personnel than they did out of 12 personnel. So I think that's another thing that we can have with Saquon Barkley out of the backfield and this 11 personnel package. Hopefully we can get Daniel Bellinger a little bit more involved. I think Mike Kafka is going to have a fresh, uh, I think, approach and just game plan to attack this Vikings team. I think you're going to see a lot of boundary stacks. You're going to see a lot of switch releases, things that we've seen over the last couple weeks of the season. And ultimately, I think the Giants will win this football game, but anything can happen. And we know that. And it's not an easy place to play up there in Minnesota. So I think any of those Giant fans that are going to be there, be loud, wear your blue, just don't wear purple or white or whatever the hell they're doing up there in Minnesota. <laughs> no skulls. There. I don't even know no skulls. skulls. Whatever that chant is. Nah, nah, we're not about that life. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. The, the other thing that I think the New York Giants have done really well we talk about the running game. One part of reinventing that running game, actually, I think has been throwing the ball. The short passes have almost been a, 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 a uh, you know, a, a, you remember the game against Washington, I think it was, where they got the ball out really quick every throw. That's almost an extension of the ground game. The way it that is. they were able to use Saquon Barkley on the swing passes, they've gotten him more involved. We talked about the AI, I think it was 10 targets against uh, Minnesota when they played him. So, yes. You said they got away from the 12th personnel. I also think they've integrated a quicker passing attack at times, too, when they didn't run the ball quite as much when they started to throw the ball more. It's almost an extension of the ground game. So they've gotten creative um, in terms of opening up this offense over the course of the year. They've just they've just they've changed week to week. And the and the thing that blew me away when I looked at the yearly statistics, do you realize the New York Giants, at least statistically speaking, if you go based off of yards for yards against points for points against we rank better as an offense than a defense. We are 15th in points for, we are 17th in yards for, or maybe it's vice versa. We are, I think it's 18th in yards against, or no, 18th in points against and 25th in yards against. The offense actually finished ranked higher than the defense, which when I read that the other day, I was like, really? I was surprised by it. No, it's not a surprise though, man. When you think about the injuries that the Giants have suffered True, in the back the end, really. Yeah. We, we talked about it all offseason, almost ad nauseum. It almost got annoying where we're like, oh, if they suffer an injury at the cornerback position, they're screwed. Everybody well, was saying it, man. <laughs> but it made sense, right? And I still yeah. think I still think that guys like Nick McLeod, who, yes, maybe he's not an NFL starter, but him coming in and playing the way that he played, and we saw that early on against Green Bay. Remember, uh, they got Green Bay Packers off the field, I think on a three and out, in a really pivotal position, where Nick McLeod got inserted into the game, and they were just attacking Nick McLeod. And then he came up with that huge PBU against Randall Cobb, got, got the uh, Giants off the field, and that was huge. And then throughout the year, he's kind of made these plays. So I feel like Joe Shane just did a good job replacing their top town. Obviously, they're not going to play to the level of the top town, though. And I wanted to kind of maybe um, circle back a little bit to, to something you said about the 11 personnel and the quick passing attack. Look, the Giants are relying a lot on this quick game passing attack, and I feel like it was kind of born and, and realized when the Giants were getting their asses kicked by the Detroit Lions. Remember in that second half, the Giants were down like 24 to 6. The game was over. It was embarrassing. Detroit wasn't really running that exotic of a defense or anything like that because the game was over, but the Giants came out in the second half, Chris, and they just slung the football and they allowed Daniel Jones to get comfortable throwing the football. And we didn't see that against Washington. We saw it a little bit against Dallas, right? We didn't really see it against Washington, though, where the Giants went with a heavy 12 personnel approach in that tie. But then after that, they really kind of adjusted and went back to what they did in the second half against Detroit in a blowout loss. And they found success. They found success against Minnesota. They found success against the Colts. They were throwing the ball against the Eagles, but I mean, it wasn't really worth much because the Eagles offense just steamrolled the Giants defense but now here we are and I, i'm really excited about the quick passing game and how daniel jones is delivering the football in a decisive manner to these to these wide receivers and tight ends yeah and another game i'll think you know earlier in the year the jaguars game they did it too if you recall in the first half 
The first half, it was quick pass after. I think he threw for 160 yards, 170 yards in the first half, and then he threw for like 20 in the second half because that was the game where they just ran the hell out of the ball. I think Jones only threw it once in the fourth quarter because Saquon Barkley ran it down their throat. But that was really the first game this year, that Jaguars game, where I started to see them go with that that quick passing game that we're talking about that you really started to see grow over the second half of the season. But this offense has just evolved over the course of the year, which I thought it would. Now, I thought they'd open it up earlier than they did, but obviously we don't have a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. The offensive line has its limitations um, and Jones in a new offense, but I'm glad it's come to the point where it is now. And next year I can't wait. And then hopefully in the playoffs, it kind of goes to the point too, because against Jacksonville, they only used 11 personnel, 61% of the time. They used 12 personnel quite a bit. That was back when they had like Tanner Hudson playing a lot of yeah. snaps. For them. Yeah, yeah. Remember after the bye week, after the Seattle loss, who did the giants add? They added Isaiah Hodgins. Yes, and Isaiah did. Hodgins came out against the Houston Texans and he played a, a solid compliment of snaps for somebody who's been in the building for a cup of coffee. And then his By role the way, continued to expand. What do you think about the guy we just picked up today? Not that he's going to play in the playoffs, but what do you think about um, the Robinson? The, the, what, what do you uh, think about that pickup? James Washington. Yeah, Washington, yeah, so rather. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually interviewed James Washington down at the senior bowl. When I went down there the year he came out, he's a good kid, man. I asked him who was the hardest cornerback he ever went up against in the big 12. And he was like, Oh, Xavier Howard easily. It was funny because Xavier Howard is still a really good cornerback in the league. So I've always liked James Washington. Never really, um, got fully integrated into that Pittsburgh passing attack signed with the Cowboys was supposed to be the replacement for Amari Cooper, but got hurt in training camp. Look, I like him as a deep speed threat. And I haven't studied his film extensively, but I've always liked his ability to take the top off of defenses. So if he can consistently do that still after his injury, then that's something that interests me. But I believe the injury was a Liz Frank. It was a foot injury, if I'm not mistaken, right? So if he still maintains that speed, which I am imagining that he will, then I feel like that's an interesting signing, but it's not one that I'm necessarily relying on. But I'm all about Chris. I'm sure you are too. Add as much talent as you can, bring them in, have them compete and let the cream rise to the top. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm not not. I don't even want to use the term excited, but it's ju it's just another smart move by Shane. It, it's just another smart move by Shane because maybe he's a contributor next year. I don't think he's going to contribute in the playoffs. I mean, he'd have to learn the offense, yada yada yada. But maybe he's a guy that could contribute next year. He was supposed to be the starter with Dallas this year with Gallup banged up, like you said. They lost Amari Cooper. Supposedly, he looked really good in training camp. He had a couple of good years with Pittsburgh. He's still only 26 years old. So maybe there's something there next year as a guy that could maybe be a fourth or fifth wide receiver for this football team. So that I was weird, man. What, what is that? I'm sorry. Dallas is weird. Jalen Tolbert, they drafted that kid in the third round out of South Alabama. The kid couldn't find the football field this year. Yeah. We would be killing our general manager right now if we drafted someone in the third round who was healthy the entire year in a position that you needed healthy bodies at. We had to go out and sign T.Y. Hilton to play a, like most of the snaps for you and stuff. If they couldn't find the football field, Chris, we'd be killing them. So look oh. at what the Giants have done. And all these guys are finding the football field right now. It's just injuries really plagued this draft class. I mean, the fan base was killing them for Wando Robinson, not having much of a role for the first four or five weeks, let alone mm. all year. I mean, <laughs> NY Giants 26, who's better, Kayvon or Aiden Hutchinson? Mm, so I haven't really studied Aiden's tape. Aiden Hutchinson finished the year, according to Pro Football Focus, with 11 sacks, 53 pressures. I was higher on Aiden Hutchinson coming out of the draft. I had a little bit of a higher grade than Kayvon Thibodeau, but I really do love Kayvon Thibodeau. And oh I wouldn't God. be shocked if he's going to be exactly. I wouldn't be shocked if he's going to have a better career than Aiden Hutchinson. And I think Kayvon Thibodeau has probably, I, I don't want to say a higher floor because Aiden Hutchinson seems to be having some sort of success, but name me the weakness in Kayvon Thibodeau's game. I don't think that, listen, all we heard from the so-called experts going in to the, to the draft was how he didn't have a motor. He Bogus. didn't have the best attitude. His attitude, you know, yada, 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 quit on plays. 
it's been the exact opposite. I, I, even though he doesn't have the gaudy sack numbers, I've been more impressed with him this year than I thought I was going to be. Um, he, and I was very excited for him, but he's impressed me in ways that I didn't expect. His motor is off the charts. Um, and he seems like a really well-respected guy in that locker room. He already seems like he's taken a little bit of that leadership role outside of what he did with the, the Snow Angels. I know that that was kind of looked down upon by a lot of people, but um, I've been super impressed with him. Like you said, I can't really compare him to Hutchinson. I don't watch the Lions week to week. I'll tell you this. I think Aiden Hutchinson is a damn good football player. I'll also yeah. tell you this. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is a damn good football player. I think he's going to be a damn good football player for the New York Giants for a very long time. So don't really care, to be honest with you. It's just as long as Kayvon becomes a high-end edge rusher for this football team, that's all I really care about. It's uh, That's it at the end of the day. I think both those guys are going to be great. I think that he's well on his way to being that. And I see people bringing up some of his run defense. Like, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is a fine run defender. I'll say there are times where he pinches a little bit too much. He might lose his gap a little bit. I think a lot of that stems from things that I saw in college as well. He's just trying to make a play, which sometimes you just need to be a little bit more disciplined. But all of that's correctable, right? It's not like he can't hold up at the point of attack. It's not a technique issue. Like I feel like Kayvon Thibodeau is a much more advanced run defender than someone like Aziz Ojolari, who I love. But Ojolari is a little bit more of a pass rushing specialist than a Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau, man, I really think a couple more, you know, getting into next year, training camp under his belt, weightlifting program, he's really going to be in for a, a really nice second season as a New York Giant. I think, I don't know if he's going to match his stats, but I think he's going to have a second year impact like JPP had. Mm, that would made, be huge. Yeah, he was top three or four for defensive player of the year. He's going to block know, a field goal too? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know if he'll quite reach that level, but I think he's go, as as good as he was this year, I think he's going to have a massive jump next year. Like, I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see the growth of Kayvon next year because you see it. I mean, it's there. It's just about growth and learning the game and learning better technique and putting on a little bit more muscle, and he'll do it next year. I can't wait. Octave says, hello, fellas. I'll be at the game this Sunday. Let's hope for a win. Let's go, Giants. Enjoy the game, Octave. Love it, Octave. Octave, what are you wearing? Is there is there any sort of like blue out from the Giant fans that are going? Because I feel like I know personally a couple of Giant fans that are going there, which isn't something that you necessarily see all too often with these playoff teams. I feel like a lot of home fan bases want to hoard those tickets. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, man. The Giant, and I get it. It's the first time in a long time that we've had a good football team. The Giants fans this year have traveled incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Remember when we took when we played uh, Jacksonville, we took over the stadium. Um, we've traveled well this year as a fan base going on the road. So I'm sure there's going to be a plenty of Giants fans there at that Minnesota game for sure. Jason's and and but how many, you have you? Well, you live in Arizona, so you probably haven't been to any Giants games this year. No, um, I went to the I went to the practice. I was home and I went that's to right. the, yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, stadium's loud this year. A lot louder than it's been in a long time. Lots to be excited about. Yeah, it's been fun. Jason says, I actually like the James Washington pickup. We just talked about him. I think he has untapped potential. Shane always looking for talent. Hey, let's beat hey, hey, let's beat the skull G-Men. That's why I love Joe Shane. That's why I love Joe Shane. Because to me, everybody saw that move today and they say, oh, this could help us for the play. That isn't it's not for the playoffs. But Joe Shane is always thinking about ways to improve this football team. Even on a week where the New York Giants are preparing for a playoff game. He's like, let me bring this guy in. This could maybe this is a guy that could help us next year. So um, I, I love Joe Shane. He's he, he, I love Joe Shane. He's awesome. So far, so far, he's been great. Absolutely. And he, I mean, can't really name any mistakes he's made, right? Like this guy is also someone who's traveling to all of these college football games. I'm trying to yeah. think of a, a, a I'm trying like we to have think a day of- bowl, We have a day bowl mistake, right? Like I feel like giant fan base. We can admit, 
Yeah. Adore Jackson. That was a that was a horrendous move. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like we believe that post injury. We said that before. We we're like, this is stupid. That's your yeah. cornerback. He's yeah. one of arguably the top two players on this defense. You can't put him there. And Dable's like, oh well, you know, you can get injured any play. It's like you really increase your chances to get injured on a punt return, though. And that's exactly what happened, which sucked. But overall, obviously, Dable is absolutely amazing. But Joe Shane, man, we don't see the the every day intricacies of what he goes through or what he does, but I've absolutely loved what he's done. And yeah, I, I can't like, if I want to really nitpick, I could maybe find a little something, but there's not really much to find. Cause he didn't have any money. Like people talk about the, people talk about the Glowinski sign. Like what? Nah, that's that. He was a body. We needed a body. We signed a guy for seven or $8 million. He's going to fill a void for a couple of years as we continue to build up the offensive line. So that's a whatever move for me. It's not a bad, it's not a great move. It's not a bad move. It was a necessary move. It, we, we needed a body. And we had very little money to spend. So I'm not going to kill him for that. Um, you want to talk about maybe the way that he handled the Bradbury situation, but I don't think so. I, I we always had to cut him and okay. I know that it dragged on longer than it should have, but I don't think there's much to complain about with Joe Shane at all. I think he's done a great job. I think his draft class, he had some bad luck because we had a ton of injuries with that draft class this year. But you see the talent, Dane Belton's display talent. We talked about Cordell Flott, a player I'm really excited about. Bellinger, fan favorite, obviously Kayvon. I think Neil's going to mature. We'll see going into next year. So I don't think there's much to complain about. And and the most impressive thing, like you were alluding to, picking guys up out of nowhere, guys like Isaiah Hodgins, guys like um, Fabian, Nick, Fabian, uh, Fabian Moreau, you know, Landon Collins, like getting these guys that teams didn't necessarily want and getting them to contribute for this football team with a limited budget. You can't give a chef a plate of crap and say, make filet mignon, right? Because yeah. like, that's what Joe Shane ended up inheriting. Like, this was a terrible situation to inherit. Yeah, there was talent on the roster, but from a financial standpoint, we all knew. Kevin Abrams said it after the, what was it, 2021 draft. He's like, <laughs> 2022 is going to be rough, ladies and gentlemen. And still, Joe Shane was able to turn this roster around with the coaching underneath, being able to coach these guys to put the Giants in the playoffs. That is an elite turnaround from this front office and coaching staff. I I, I don't think he could have done a better job, all things considered. I don't think he, – he, <laughs> he got rid of players on the team. He didn't add anybody of note outside of our draft picks. And the team had a, what, a five, win, six win increase or whatever it was. So um, it's been an incredible year. It's been an incredible year. Um, Jason says, I think our big offseason signing will be Tremaine Edmonds, popular name by, by many for Buffalo. I think we will also get a decent center in free agency. I think we draft our wide receiver one. I don't know what we're going to do. I, I All I can tell you, Jason, is I think we're going to attack all three of those positions you just mentioned in some way, shape, or form. I think we're going to draft the center. Um, it might be in the second round. It might be in the third round. Um, I saw the kid from Ohio State declared today. who's supposed to be the, the, if not the best center in this year's draft class, among the best centers in this year's draft class. But that's what I want. I want the Giants to draft a true center. And I like Nick Gates. Nick Gates does a fine job when thrown into action to play that position. But I want a true center, a guy that was brought up to be a center. I'm not saying first round, but I want them to draft the center this year. That's what I want. When's the last time the Giants had an actual true center who wasn't like a tackle or a guard in previous locations or in college? Long time. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a hot minute, man. Yeah, I we need that. I, I think we need that. I think we're going to attack it this year in the draft. I think it'll be second or third round. Wide receiver, I have an inkling. I have a feeling. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I think the Giants are going to be open to trading for an established wide receiver in the NFL. I think they're going to look for it. I think they're going to look at the market, and if there's something that makes sense, I think they will do it. But they're not going to just – 
you know, force a trade. Joe Shane has displayed that at the trade deadline. But I think they'll explore it. If they can't find something, of course, they're going to have to attack it early in the draft. I, well, even if they trade for a wide receiver, they still have to attack it early in the draft. That's how depleted that wide receiving core is. Um, but we'll see. It'll be an interesting offseason. You know, we, yeah, we still got the playoffs to talk about. And there's some names. Yeah, no, exactly. So we already got, you know, complained to about not talking about the playoffs. <laughs> and looking forward to the offseason, Chris. <laughs> Mr. Ildev says, beat Minnesota and come see us round. The- I'm going to tell you, right. Let me ask you this question. That's an Eagle fan. He says, fight. What's going on, man? Thanks for popping in the stream. Let me ask you this. I'm going to give you option A. I'm going to give you option B. And I don't want to look past Minnesota because we could easily lose this week. This is, I yep. think this is going to be a coin flip game. It's going to come down to a three or four point discrepancy either way. But let's just play the game that we beat Minnesota. Option A, Seattle beat San Francisco. And we get to match up with the winner of the Bucks cowboys game. Option B, San Francisco beat Seattle. And we get to play the Philadelphia Eagles round two. What's your preference? I think I'd rather play Philadelphia than San Francisco, but I would rather avoid Philadelphia at all costs if it's not at the expense of San Francisco. So that's kind of where I'm at. So if you're saying so, no, going, we can't play San Francisco until the third round, it's yeah. not possible. Yeah. So, so it would we're, be, we're either going to play our our second round opponent if we win is going to be the Cowboys, the Bucks. Bucks are going to be the favorite team that you probably want to play, or yes. the Eagles. Mm-hmm. That's that's the choices round two. See, for me, I don't. I don't envision the Seattle Seahawks defeating the 49ers. They're going to blow I mean, them out. Anything can happen. I'm pretty sure the 49ers are going to take care of business and win that game, which makes us the lowest seed, which makes us play the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm already in the mindset. And again, I want to be clear. I don't think the Giants are shooing to defeat the Minnesota Vikings. Like At you all. said, it's going to be a close game. They need to be really smart and judicious with the football. They cannot turn the football over like they did in the previous game. They shot themselves in the foot, and yet it still took a 61-yard field goal to beat them. But still, Minnesota can win that game easily, right? So say the Giants do win. Going to Philadelphia, that's that's a tough ask. I mean, the Giants haven't won in Philadelphia since, what, like 2012? I think I, think I was born in 85. It might have been then. That's how long it feels. <laughs> It's been that like, it feels like it's been that long. And you um, think about the losses in Philadelphia. Oh, Chris, it makes me so freaking sick to think about. It. You got the Evan Ingram drop. You got like the 40, what, three yard field goal by Jake Elliott, the 61 yard field goal by Jake Elliott. You had yeah. a 17 to three lead in 2019 that was blown back when Eli Manning started on like a Thursday night football game. Just devastating losses in Philadelphia. But this is, like Brian Dable said, a one game season. And if the Giants can get past Minnesota, I wouldn't like. I don't want to play the Eagles, but I think I'd rather play them than the 49ers. I think the 49ers and I think just the 49ers are the class of the conference. I, I do too. And I, yes, I, 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 I picked them to go to the Super Bowl before the year started. Uh, I had them in the Bills, so we'll see if I'm right. Hopefully, I'm wrong because I want the Giants to go. Um, My guy, the authentic, just brought up the Deshaun Jackson punt return to go back. Oh, to like 20, that's the worst. Like that's one of the worst moments in, in 29, whatever that was. New oh, York God. Giants history. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story about that. I was at a bar for that game. Um, with, with, you know, with, with a bunch of my giant friends and I have a lot of friends that are jet fans and they like to poke at you when something bad happens to the giants. And we were going back and forth during the game. And I was talking my smack through text message. I was like, Oh, you know, fly Eagles fly with like smiley faces. Cause we're up by 20, whatever points. As soon as Deshaun Jackson, I swear to God, I did this. As soon as Deshaun Jackson returned that punt, I turned my phone off. I didn't turn it on for three days. I turned my cell phone off and I did not turn it back on for three days. I was like, I was like, I need, I, I, I don't want to talk to anybody. I need to get away. I was that depressed after that football game. That that's how much that game hit me. That was, that was a tough one. I don't even want to think about that, but I'm going to throw a wrench into this. 
why I think it might be more beneficial to play the Eagles week two. And I agree with you that they're the toughest matchup of those three teams. But odds are we're probably going to have to play them eventually if we want to make the Super Bowl, whether it be round two, whether it be round three. We've seen teams come out sluggish off a bye week, off a week in which they've had a bye. We saw it happen in 2011 with the Green Bay Packers when we went to the Super Bowl. Packers looked like they didn't know what they were doing for the first quarter and a half. They rested their starters the last week of the regular season, and I do think that bye week impacted them. So part of me's like, Jalen Hurts didn't look quite like himself. The Eagles finished the year really poorly. They didn't look like this, not just against us, against the Saints. Down the stretch, they didn't look quite like the same team. Part of me's like, I may want them in the second round coming off the bye. Maybe they come out a little sluggish. So that's just the devil's advocate of me. In terms of the teams, I agree with you. I, I, I would much rather play the Bucs. I would much rather play the Cowboys. But if I had the choice, if I knew I had to play the Eagles, whether it be round two or round three, I think I'd rather play them round two. Yeah, same here. I think you have to swallow that pill eventually and play the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's not me saying I want the Philadelphia Eagles. They're a very good football team, but Jalen Hurts with a shoulder injury, you hit him, you pop him a couple times. I feel like it's a game that I would rather be in than traveling across the country to San Francisco. Like I'm scared of the 49ers because of that diverse rushing attack. That, that's 49ers are the best I, team in the conference. I'm, uh, you, you don't got to sell me on that. They're the best. Team. I get it. They got Brock Purdy. It's a rookie quarterback. I think Wick Martindale could do a lot of cool, fun things against the rookie quarterback, but he also has Kyle Shanahan in his ear. George Kittle as a tight end who's going to be helping blocking the edge i could just see them running gh counter on the giants all game and christian mccaffrey just feasting which is unfortunate but the biggest vulnerability of this new york giants team we know is that run defense against those power concepts we're rooting for seattle this week bottom line <laughs> get the <laughs> oh, yeah. out of the playoffs as quickly as possible Absolutely. um gonna read a couple of these uh members uh chats i don't want to lose these i might have missed a couple i'm sorry guys goblins man thank you for being a member he says chris this is the perfect time to be 12 months in what a roller coaster i love you man we did it i'm so glad we got Tibbs. He's the only guy I want. He's been fantastic. He's been incredible. He's been he's gotten better and better over the course of the year. And I know I missed a member chat or two. I can't see him on the stream yard. So I apologize to the members that I missed. Will, thank you for being a member. He says, I'm getting scared on how many people are picking the Giants to win this week. Let's go, G-Man. That doesn't scare me. And I know, like, as fans, like, we like to have that underdog mindset going in. You think about the Super Bowl runs where all the, so, you know, the experts picked against us doesn't really bother me one way or the other. The players play the game. I believe in this team in terms of being prepared. I don't think the moment's going to be too big for them. They've or, Here's what I'll say. For anybody that may be nervous going into this game in terms of we have a inexperienced team in terms of playoff experience, this team's already played in four playoff games this year. I mean, the, both Washington games, as far as I'm concerned, were basically playoff games. The Minnesota game was basically a playoff game. The Colts game was basically, like, they were do-or-die games. Like, these were pressure-filled games. These were games that they needed to win to make the playoffs. So, this team's already been battle-tested. I don't think the moment's going to be too big for this team. I don't think so either. I think if comes down to coaching, right? Like everything seems to come down to coaching, but I think they're going to have them prepared and focused. And I think there are actually really good leaders on this team who set the example. One being at the quarterback position, Daniel Jones. Look, look, Daniel Jones isn't that vocal guy, right? Chris, he's not out there. He's not rah-rah, similar to Eli Manning, but he sets the framework for how others on the team should operate. And those players tend to emulate his work ethic, right? And that's why they all galvanize around him. That's why it was so cool against the Colts when everyone was chanting his name. So I think the Giants will be prepared. There might be nerves and some jitters early on, but I'm sure the Vikings will experience that as well. And then once football starts to be played and you start to take those hits, football just kind of kicks in and then you just go from there. 
Exactly. And I, I'm sure there's going to be a little nervousness coming out, but once once they get their bearings, they're going to be fine. Dan says, just the fact that I no longer have to turn the game off when we go down seven points speaks volumes to DJ and the coaching progression. I actually mentioned this um, on, a, on another podcast that was on, I think, last night or the night before. It was last night. This giant, You know how I know this Giants team's gotten a lot better? I don't care. I, I'm saying over the course of the season. I don't care um, who they played. Like, you want to say the Colts, whatever. I don't care about the difficulty of opponent. The first half of the season, we could have played the worst team in the league, and I always went into every week feeling like this team needed to play perfect or close to damn near perfect football to have any chance to win. Like, we couldn't beat ourselves. We couldn't have stupid penalties. I don't feel that way anymore. I, I And I obviously, we have to play more perfect than most teams because we don't have the talent. But this team, you know, I think back to last week, uh, the uh, I think it was the Colts game. What, maybe, I can't recall what game it was. It might have been the Colts game. Where Nick Gates has the uh, penalty uh, inside the red zone. And the, and the New York yeah. Giants still overcome that. They have turnovers. They still overcome that. That's how I know this team has gotten better. Because they're making mistakes in some of these games. And they're still able to overcome it and find a way to stay in these football games and win them. That's how I know this team has gotten better over the course of the year. I also love how loyal they are to running the football. Look, we we discussed ad nauseum at this point the the Giants throwing out of 11 personnel using quick game. But think back to earlier in the season, and even recently, it'll be in the third quarter. Giants could be down fourth quarter. They'll still give the ball to Saquon Barkley three times in the row if those Vikings want to align and give them that favorable box. Because this is what Mike Kafka does, right? If you want to set a tendency, if you want to give us something, the Giants are going to exploit that tendency and they're going to take what you give them. And I appreciate that because that sounds like it's easy. It sounds like every coordinator does that, but not every coordinator does. And New York Giant fans, unfortunately, in recent memory, we know that well. All you got to do is look at the Washington game. The Washington game, they were killing us on the ground. I'm talking about the other coordinator who got fired. They were killing us on the ground, killing hmm. us. We couldn't stop Brian Robinson. They ran the ball four times in the second half with Brian Robinson. And it, blew my, it blew my mind. Yeah. It blew my mind. So you're absolutely right. A lot of these coordinators just don't have the common sense to do what they're supposed to do. And I think you take that for granted sometimes when you have a good play caller. Like, let's talk about Kafka real quick, by the way, because reports have been coming out. He's been getting some interviews. I think two teams mm. have already brought him in for an interview. What kind of an impact do you think that that could have on Daniel Jones in this offense next year if he does take another job? I think it could have a big impact, but also my question would be who is replacing him? Like, are the Giants going to promote from within? Is it going to be quarterback coach Shea Tierney who's going to assume that role? We know that role. Mike That's Kafka, what I think it's going to be if I had to guess. Yeah, Mike Kafka transitioned well into being a play caller. It doesn't mean that another play caller will do that. Will it be a more established guy like, say, Scott Turner or somebody like that? Like, I'm just not 100% certain, but any kind of lack of continuity could theoretically hurt Daniel Jones. But you still have Brian Dable there, right? And Brian Dable... It's hard to really, I guess, know whose system this is, right? Like I would imagine it's more Dables with Kafka wrinkles and then Kafka's kind of operating within it. So I, I think and I hope that all the terminology would still be the same for Daniel Jones so there's not that learning curve. But I think losing Mike Kafka would be bad ultimately for the New York Giants because I really do appreciate his ability to sequence plays, his ability to call plays, and his effectiveness in the red zone. I think he's just done a phenomenal job. Like I don't think there's an award for a coordinator, but I think Mike Kafka should be considered for it if there were one. Yeah, well, that's why he's getting interviews, even though he's only had one exactly. year as a play caller. I agree with you. It's certainly not good. I mean, Joe, we, we we talk about how we've been completely, you know, coordinator after coordinator after coordinator for Daniel Jones. You're going to have another guy in his ear next year if he gets a head coaching job. But I, I'm not that nervous about it because that was the whole reason why I wanted Dable to begin with. I said to myself, this can happen. Offensive coordinators come and go. We need stability. So I wanted an offensive-minded head coach. 
for something like this? Because I do think Dable has his fingerprints all over the offense. I think he's equally involved, even though he doesn't necessarily call the plays. So I don't think it's something that I'd be like, ah, we're screwed. But, of course, you're not happy if you lose him. But I think it's something that we could overcome. And it's a good problem to have because if you start losing coaches, it means your team's winning football games. So it's a good problem to have. Expect to see this happen more in the future if the Giants continue to play well. Absolutely. Yeah, Jeff says, I see a lot of ha- uh, Hostetler in Jones, but more mobile. Hostetler was pretty mobile, um, but yeah, Jones is more mobile. And much, much better athlete. What do you guys think? Go Big Blue, baby. Yeah, I didn't get to appreciate the full extent of Hostetler, but obviously I've watched highlights. I've watched film. He was a mobile quarterback. He was a pretty mobile quarterback. I think he's better than Hostetler. Um I hate comparing quarterbacks. I do. Different eras. There's, there's so much that comparing right. quarterbacks. I, yeah. you know, a lot of people bring up uh, Eli and Jones just naturally because he's the guy that, you know, they both learned under Cutcliffe. He's the guy that replaced them. Similar height, similar demeanor. I think he's more similar to Sims than he is Eli. If I had to compare one of the prior quarterbacks, because Sims was the guy that went to that small school. He was that tough-as-nails quarterback. He had that really tough upbringing the first three or four years as a Giants quarterback, some of it due to injuries, much like Daniel Jones. I think he's more similar to Sims in terms of that aspect than Eli Manning. But in terms of quarterback play, yeah, I suppose you could sprinkle in a little bit of Hostetler because of his mobility. Um, but I, I think he's much better than Jeff Hostetler. Yeah, different eras. It's really hard to to really yeah. quantify that, Jeff. But I'll say this: Daniel Jones is big. <laughs> like Hostetler was like I think six two, six three. He wasn't a small guy, but Daniel Jones is like six foot five, like two hundred thirty pounds. Like Daniel Jones can run you over. Like he's a much bigger guy than I feel like a lot of us. Um, or at least I can speak for myself. Than I realize. Like if I feel like if I stood next to him in a room, I would really appreciate how big that dude is. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that can move like Daniel Jones at his size. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like how many six foot five quarterbacks can run like he can? Not a lot. Um, no. Josh Allen, but Josh Allen's a different type of run, running style. He's a guy that just mows you over. Um, not a lot. And I, I think that's an un- underrated attribute of his game. Pete says, Rich, Ooh, that's not bad. Rich Gannon is more like what Jones can be. Rich Gannon was, Rich Gannon won an MVP award with the Raiders. Um, you know, it was a, a, you know, not that well, he wasn't great for long. Cause I think he was a guy that kind of moved around and then he finally found his spot there with the Raiders. But Rich Gannon was a really good quarterback there for about three or four years. That'd be great. Yeah, it's before my time kind of a studying uh, the quarterbacks, but I do know he had a really successful run, so I would love for Daniel Jones to get an MVP award and, and have the kind of accolades that Gannon has achieved in his career. Yeah, I mean, he like I said, he only had a three or four-year stretch where he was at the top of his game, but he was great for those three or four years. Hamza says, someone tell DJ to grow a playoff beard. <laughs> <laughs> he does look better. He looks more intimidating with the beard. Bob says, do you guys think Leo comes back if he doesn't rework that contract? Isn't he over a $30 million cap it next year? Just curious. I think he's coming back. All right, I'll talk about it real quick, and then I'll let you give your opinion on it. Next year, he's $32 million against the cap. That's not because he got paid $32 million a year. It's because we've had the back of salary the last couple of years because we went on a spending spree with Kenny Galladay. It screwed up the whole construction of the contract. I think originally it was a three-year, $66 million deal, $22 million a year, but it got back So next year, it's a huge hit. Um, I think he's definitely coming back. The question is, is he going to get extended? A lot of people talk about, can you just cut him? The $12 million in savings doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You're not going to find a player for $12 million, the difference in what it would cost to cut him or keep him. That's as good as Leonard Williams. He's a good, very good football player. So he's coming back. 
And in an ideal world, you extend him in an ideal world if he's willing to negotiate. I don't know if he's going to be, but if you could extend, I don't know what his market would be because he's a bit older, but if you could extend him on 17, 18 million dollars a year for three years and spread out the money that way to give yourself some more cap flexibility, that's great. If he's not willing to do that, you play out the year and then you probably move on the following year. I mean, you got Dexter Lawrence, you're going to be giving a whole lot of money. So he, I think he's definitely coming back next year in terms of his long-term future with the Giants. It'll come down to whether or not he's willing to, you know, talk an extension this, this offseason, in my opinion. I agree with you, Chris. I think he'll be back next year. And I just don't really know what the Giants would do without Leonard Williams if they do cut bait. They need to invest in that interior defensive line position. They run so much tight front in their base personnel package. If you put decks over the nose, who's going to play those two four-eye spots or those three technique spots wherever you really want to align them? So having Leonard Williams, I feel like, is crucial to the run defense and their ability to rush the passers. Kind of sucks, man, this year that he's been dinged up and playing hurt the entire year because I think he could have had a really nice season. I think he could have a really nice playoff. Ah, love it. Let's hope. <laughs> I love Leonard Williams. I think he's great. Um, what's, if you know, you know, says we are going to win. This is what we do. I think we're going to beat Minnesota. Um, I think it's going to be close. I think you would be pulling your hair out, but I think we're going to beat Minnesota. Hester says, should we have to hesitate to pull Neil if he struggles? Who are you mm. pulling for? That's the thing. Who it's are you like, are we going to? Tyree Phillips would be the one that makes logical sense, but I'm not necessarily on that boat. I, I got to say, my one big, like, look, the Giants can't mess this up. Like, Evan Neal can't mess this up. Evan Neal is the liability, the critical vulnerability yeah, on the offense that. right now. And I think Daniil Hunter and players like that, Zadarius Smith, if they want to align him over there, even though they like to align him kind of as like a three technique over an interior offensive lineman, or even DJ Wanham, who I think beat him for a sack. I think he gave up like seven pressures and, and two sacks maybe in that game. I know Andrew Thomas got beat for a sack in that game. I don't expect that to happen again, right? right. That was like an under center play action, single back type of look. But man, I'm a little bit nervous about Evan Neal. That's my one reservation I feel like going into this game. I agree with that because he didn't look great against the Eagles either. Part of me is no. like, part of me, because I think he had like three full starts in that game, at least two. And part of me is like, maybe that had something to do with the quarterback. Because it, it different cadence, maybe with with the third string quarterback in there, I don't know. But regardless, um, yeah, I'm worried. I mean, they got some good edge rushers on that team, and yeah, that they're going to try to take advantage of Evan Neal. We talk about how we're going to try to take advantage of their center and their right tackle. That's going to be what they view as our weakness. That in the interior uh, portion of our offensive line. So um, he's a rookie. I think he's going to get a lot better next year. But yeah, he's still got a lot of growing to do. But we're not pulling him. You're not putting Matt Parrott in there. You're not putting Phillips in there. Uh, Evan Neal is going to be the guy. Mm -hmm. David, man, thank you very much, man. What do you think Julian Love's value is? That's it's very hard for me to say because I, to, to be honest with you, David, I haven't looked at the safety market. And every year, there's players that shock me in terms of the contracts that they get. If he hits the open market, there could easily be teams that are willing to pay more than you might envision. That's that's the beauty of free agency, right? There's 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 Christian Kirk. If I would have told you last year was going to get twenty million dollars a year before free agency started, what would you have told me? You would you call me crazy. Zadarius Smith, the year that the Packers signed him, nobody thought he was going to get the contract that he got. He got a he got near, a, you know, best edge rusher in football money. Of course, it proved out to be a good signing because he turned out, you know, to take off once he went to the Green Bay Packers. But you don't know. I don't know what his market's going to be. Um, but I, I'll tell you this: I think the Giants have a dollar amount that they're not willing to exceed to bring him back on this football team. They're not going to give him top safety money. Um, I think there's a market in which they're willing to spend, and I do think they want him back. But if a team's willing to go out there and give him $16 million a year, like I don't think that'll happen, by the way. But like Landon Collins got, they're going to let him walk. 
Yeah, I think some of the contracts that are interesting, Derwin James, I think, makes the most. He makes like 19 mil a year, which is a lot, right? Yeah. But you look at Marcus Williams, who signed with the Ravens last offseason, I think it's 14. Is that where Julian Love is? Or is he going to be more like a Jordan Poyer, where it's like nine, a 10? Justin Reed, I think he makes about 10. If it's around that, I'm comfortable with it. If it's like 14, it's when I start to question it, which sucks because I really appreciate Julian Love and I think he's a pivotal part of the leadership in that locker room. Think about this Giants defense when they suffered all those injuries. Julian Love was that one centerpiece doing everything. Yeah. And I think that's a very under understated part of his game is just how valuable he is from a continuity standpoint and just knowing all the roles and then executing, executing them well when he is asked to. And he's a guy that, even though he's been put in a set position this year, and I think that has a lot to do with why he's improved as a player, he's capable of moving all over the field, something that Wink, you would think, would like in this defense. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see in the offseason. I do think they want him back, but I think there's a certain dollar amount they're not willing to go over, and it's probably in that 8 to $10 million range. Chris, he says, Chris, would you prefer that the Giants start with the Bull or let the Vikings start with it? I want the Vikings to start with it. Um that generally speaking, that's what I want. I, especially with this team, I think the Giants have proven that they're a team that's great at making second half adjustments. The coaching staff, um, we actually write, Justin told me this stat, uh, yesterday when I was on their podcast. Giants ranked third worst time in possession in the first half this year, they ranked second best in the second half. Um, so we've been a team this year that has proven to be much better in the second half. If that's the case, I'd much rather have the bowl to start the second half. So I want to defer if we win the coin toss, I'd rather Minnesota start with the football. I'm always about the double dip too, man. Like when I play Madden, I never want to receive the football. <laughs> I'm always kicking, that's, bro. That's a great point though because that is such a – like if you could get the ball at the end of the first half and even if you get three points and then you start with the ball in the second half, that's that's such a momentum swing. If you could, if you could get 10 points, 14 points in two straight possessions, it's such a momentum swing. I 100% agree. And I, I also think, man, like if the Vikings go out there and they go three and out, which is possible with that offensive line against the Giants defensive line, talk about setting a tone and then putting Daniel Jones into the football game after the Vikings just fell flat on their face offensively. It's just that defense, the Giants defense that is needs to hold up on that first possession, obviously. Yeah, because yeah, because obviously if Minnesota scores all of a sudden he's got the pressure of the world on his shoulder. Yeah. So yeah, but but it's a long I'd game. yeah, it's I'd a rather long kick game. off, though. I'd rather kick off. Xerox says, afternoon, Jets. I can't wait till we bring in someone to replace Pinnock. He is awful. I mean, he is what he is. He's a he's a depth player that they've asked to do more than uh, they probably thought they were going to because of all the injuries they've had this year. So I'm not yeah. going to kill him. He's a depth player. He's a guy that we picked up off a of waiver. So, yeah, I'm not going to kill him. He shouldn't be playing because we don't have the talent right now because of all the injuries we've had in that secondary. I think Pinnock's fine. He's Yeah, he's okay. He's yeah. solid. I don't think he's a starter for, a, for no. a, a really good secondary, but he's fine for a depth piece in a secondary. 100%. And he's a specials guy. Yeah, very good on special teams. That's why we brought him in. Dreadpool says, trade for Brandon Ayuk. What do you think? Yeah, I know your partner loves Brandon Ayuk. I love Brandon Ayuk. Um, I wouldn't be opposed, man. I just don't know, you know, are the 49ers going to want to do that? And I understand he's going to be a free agent after this year. I think it is. But I think they have the fifth-year option because he was a first-round pick, so – yeah. I, I don't know if they'd want to trade him. Like, I, Brandon Ayuk to me is really talented. He's kind of similar, not to say he's going to be as successful, but Stephon Diggs kind of was, you saw how he took off once he became a featured number one wide receiver. Ayuk's the type of wide receiver where I could see that happening. Like, right now, you've got Debo Samuel there. you got George Kittle there. you got Christian. Mc like, there's a lot of guys that are absor absorbing targets. He's still at over 1,000 yards. And when you watch the 49ers, 
The guy's an incredible route runner. He's got great hands. Um, and I remember I liked him. I think he, Arizona State, right? He went to. Yeah. I remember. I remember him going into that draft. I was a big fan of his. So I would love him. I, I think he fits exactly what you want. He's young. He's talented, and he's still ascending as a football player. It's going to cost you at least a first round pick. It just is. Um, or a, a wide receiver that still hasn't reached his true potential. But I don't even know if he'd be available via trade. Like people bring up T. Higgins. They bring up Brandon. I, we don't know that these teams are going to want to trade these players. Like they're young and super talented. That's the thing. He was drafted in 2020, right? Yeah. In so he's not going to be a free agent or he isn't potentially going to be a free agent until 2025. I don't know why the 49ers would want to do that. You could still have him for another like two years in this offense with Christian McCaffrey in his prime, Debo Samuel, who you just resigned. It just doesn't really make sense to trade Brandon Ayuk on a rookie contract. Yeah, that's why like yesterday, and I didn't, you know, I mean, I made a tweet that when the news came out about DeAndre Hopkins, all I said was I'd be interested under the right circumstances. And to me, the right circumstances are I don't have to extend you. I don't have to give up a first or second round pick. I give up, I give up, you know, because he's 31 years old. If the right deal presented it, I'd be interested. But, and then people say, oh, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins. I, yeah, of course, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins. But are those guys going to be available? The teams that want to have to want to trade those players, right? So, of course, I'd want the younger option. A guy like Brandon Ayuk could be great. 100%. I just don't know if those guys are disgruntled or their teams want to get rid of them because they are so young. And those both those teams are still in their Super Bowl window. So it just doesn't really make sense. But anything can happen, man. Yeah, and you never know. You never know. Like, like Stephon Diggs, a lot of people probably didn't think Minnesota was going to trade him when they did. So you never know. So maybe, maybe next year we will get our Brandon Ayuk. That'd be great. We need to get somebody. I'll tell you that right now. We definitely need more help in that wide receiver room. There's no doubt about it. Um, just want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Thank you to everybody for being here. We still got over 800 people in here, man. Thank you to everybody for being here. Hope you guys are as excited as we are, uh, for the playoffs. Uh, thank you again, Nick, for coming on, man. Having a great time talking to you. Hope we do this again next week. Cause that means we won. So, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Fabian says, are we men or boys bring whoever our way? I think that was in, uh, it, when we were talking about who we would prefer in the second round, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, listen, I'm with you. Let's go out there and let's beat whoever you put in front of us. But it's an interesting question. Ask who would be your preference in the second round. But at the end of the day, yeah, you got to be who's ever on your schedule. Absolutely. But I'm glad the Giants avoided like the Saints in 2011. I was like, going to bring that exact <laughs> scenario up. Because I remember watching that game with my friend who was a 49er fan, is a 49er fan. And they were playing the Niners. We ended up playing the Niners in the championship game. Which, by the way, they were a beast of a team. Their defense was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But I was so excited. When the 49ers won that game, and he's like, you should be excited. You should be happy. We're going to kick your ass. I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to tell you right now, as good as that New York Giants team played during that playoff stretch, I don't think we would have beaten the Saints. The New Orleans Saints that year were ridiculous in the Superdome. They had that high-powered offense. I thought we matched up much better with the San Francisco 49ers. And the NFL is about matchups. So, yeah, you, you want things to play out your way, right, in terms of the scheduling during the playoffs, but you got to beat who's ever in front of you. Did the Saints beat the crap out of the Giants that season too? They did. Not they mistaken. destroyed them. They destroyed yeah. them. 49-24 to 24 in the Superdome. Like, that's not something I wanted any part of. That would have been, been tough. That would have been tough. Bob Wells says, uh, Tana, any update on Carl Banks coming on your channel? We'll see. I mean, he told me, uh, he told me to reach out to his agent uh, or whatever she is, his representative. Um, his assistant and uh, I emailed her yesterday. She got back. She asked me to give her, give her uh, the details to my platform and I haven't gotten an email back quite yet. So maybe she's busy. I don't know. We'll see. 
So hopefully he's on the channel tomorrow. If not, we'll work something out, hopefully. But I'm still waiting on uh, confirmation on that. Chris says, Tano, my man, who is a surprise player do you guys think will have an impact for the Giants on Sunday? All right, give me your surprise player on Sunday. Okay, so surprise player. We've talked probably about the entire Giants 11 personnel package, right? I'm wondering, and I, I this guy could either have a role or he could do absolutely nothing. And I am not 100% sure which way to lean. So I wanted to ask you too, Chris. Lawrence Cager. Does Lawrence Cager earn snaps with the Giants here? And will the Giants roll out, like we said at the top of the show, a 12 personnel package that is really an 11 personnel package because Lawrence Cager is a wide receiver listed as a tight end. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm just probably going to default and say the surprise player will be Somebody in the secondary who is going to have a free shot at Kirk Cousins because Wink Martindale is going to load up the line of scrimmage with seven guys. They're going to use a six-man protection and like a Nick McLeod or a Jason Pinnock is going to come in and sack Kirk Cousins, possibly forcing a fumble. But it's going to be a secondary guy. It's going to be one of those guys that we typically don't like to have out there, but I feel like they're probably playing better than we give them credit. So Nick McLeod or a Pinnock or a player like that. Okay. I don't think Cager's going to have much of a role in this game, even though I would like to see him used a little bit around the red zone. And maybe he will be. Maybe he will catch a touchdown. Um, my surprise guy. Kenny Galladay. No. <laughs> that's what everybody wants to say, right? Because everybody's right. Really, yeah. I'm not going to say that. I don't think he's going to be featured too much in this game. My surprise guy. You know what? And it'd be a surprise, but I like him. And I like what the New York Giants have been doing down the stretch with him. I'm going to say Brita has a big play in this game. Oh, Brita. I'm going to no. say Matt Brita has a big play in this game. I, th I, I think they're going to bring back that two running back set that they've used in more recent weeks with the orbit motion with Saquon Barkley. And it's going to spring a big play for Matt Brita, whether it be in the passing game, the running game. He's going to have like a 30, 40 yard splash play. I think Matt Brita, that's my surprise pick. I think he's going to have a big, important play in this football game. And it's something that we've seen Mike Kafka and Brian Dable employ against the Vikings. The third series, if I'm not mistaken, the Giants came out in that pony package, 21 personnel, with Saquon Barkley as the wingback being used on the orbit motion. They handled the football off. It was Gary Brightwell, though, and it was a loss of one because Dalvin Tomlinson bench-pressed one of the Giants' interior offensive linemen, and I was like, oh, I miss seeing 94 out there. But, yeah, I, th I think that's certainly something that can happen. I would love to see that 21 personnel package. Yeah, I would, too. I think that they, they, they used it against the Colts as well. I saw right. it. See, people are saying Hodges. I I didn't say Hodges to me is not a surprise. Hodges is our number no. one wide receiver at this point. So he wouldn't be a surprise to me. Um, it would have to be from an offensive standpoint, it would have to be somebody like Brita or maybe Galladay or Cager. Um, the, the best one would be though. And this isn't one that can be really, uh, I guess, assessed through statistics other than pressures and sacks allowed would be Evan Neal. If Evan Neal could come out and just shut down Daniel Hunter and shut down that pass. If that can happen, I would feel so freaking comfortable. Cause like we said a little earlier, that is the one thing that I'm a little bit worried about. That would be huge. That, that huge. would be huge. I'm going to tell you a guy that I hope, well, I hope he doesn't get a lot of action, but if he does, um, I hope he has a big game and it would probably be a little bit of a surprise to me because he's been very up and down this year. Our punter. <laughs> I, I hope he has a really good game. The Scottish hammer. So, but, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Breida. I, I just have a feeling he's going to have a big big play in this game. Octave says, at the game, I'll be rocking my Eli Manning jersey. What's your favorite jersey you own? Me? Yeah. Uh, Mark Bavaro because Ooh. Mark, yeah. My middle name is Mark because of Mark Bavaro. That's my father named so, me. So you had to buy that. Nicholas though. Mark. Yeah, because I was, I was a really preemie baby and I put my mother in the hospital. I was like born like two months before I was supposed to. 
So my mother was in the hospital for a while and like doctors were like, oh, we don't really know what's going on with this like baby and stuff like that little bit of uncertainty. So my father gave me the middle name Mark because he was such a tough SOB. And my dad was also a Notre Dame fan. So that's another reason. <laughs> that's I, I I didn't get to appreciate Mark before, but that is, I mean, you name like the top 10 favorite Giants of all time. He's on most people's list that they, they got to watch yeah. him during that straight. Like he's the embodiment of a New York Giant. Like when you think New York Giant, you think Mark Bavaro. You, you stoic. Yeah, you know? you, love you, it. You, you think guys like Mark Bavaro. David, man, thank you very much, man. He says, asking again, what do you think Julian Love's market value is in twenty? We already answered it, but we were running behind, so I'm sorry. He says, is it in twenty three, and do the Giants sign him? Yeah, again, his market's very unpredictable. What do again? I maybe you didn't hear it earlier, David, but we're a little bit behind. His market. For the Giants, I think will be between eight and ten million dollars. I don't know what other teams will be willing to pay him, and the Giants aren't going to be able to use the tag on him like they'd be able to use on probably Barkley because you can only use one tag. So, if he wants to explore his market, he's going to have the opportunity to do it. So, I can't predict what other teams are going to be willing to spend. I haven't looked at all the other safeties available, what teams need in this year's upcoming free agency class. I don't think the Giants would exceed eight or ten million dollars though because of all the other needs on this football team. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We already kind of talked about that. We said Marcus Williams is the safety who was signed by the Ravens from the Saints last year. He gets paid $14 million a year. I think if the contract exceeds that, which it may or may not, I'm not really 100% certain. I don't know if the Giants chase that. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't think they would. They would. Richard Rodriguez says, Pinnock is not awful. Great when blitzing. I don't. He's fine for what he is. He's not, he's not a guy that I want starting, but he's fine for what he is. He's a decent situational player. Um, and he's a good depth player in the secondary. I, I'm fine with him. He's just I just don't want to be in being a starter. That but that's you don't we didn't expect that. Which is fair. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Jeremiah, man, thank you very much. He says, Hey guys, playoffs, baby. Let's go. DJ let, all right. Let me get your I know you might not want to do this, but let me get your prediction. DJ contract looks something hmm. like four years, $120 million, 50 or 60 guaranteed. Also incentive laden opt-out after two years thoughts. That's exactly where I have him. I have him at either three for 90, four for 120. I think it's going to be between 28 to $32 million a year on average for three or four years with the ability to get it after two years. That's where I have it. That's kind of where I'm at. That's where I'm at too. I've been saying like a two to four year and it makes more sense for four because Daniel Jones is still young and it's going to behoove him to be like, Hey, I kind of want to sign. It could be short term and I'll prove myself. And then that will set me up for another bag, right? Because I don't have the best track record in the past to rely on. This is like my year that I'm cashing in and I'm so happy for him that he is. So I'm, I think it's going to be around that. I think around, you know, I was always thinking like 28 to 30 million a year, 28 to 32, whatever it is. And I think it should be incentive laden. And I also definitely think the Giants should have something that they can get out of it just in case if things go south. And, and that's and the way contracts it. work. You know, exactly. so that, that's not specific to Daniel Jones. No. Generally speaking, when a quarterback signs a four-year deal, there's a way to get out two years in. And and, and that's the way I think they'll structure it. They're not going to fully commit four years to the guy. They're going to say, we're going to give you four. We'll commit half of it. We'll give you you give you 50, 60 million guaranteed, like he just said. We'll commit half of the out. We'll commit two years to you. We'll continue to build up this team. If things go really south next year, which I don't think they will, but if they do, you always got to prepare as a general manager. Even if Jones is still in the contract for another year, you still have the option to draft a quarterback. Um, so that's what I think they're going to do. I think they're giving them a four-year deal, two-year commitment, and we'll take it from there. That's where I think the Giants are at right now in the Daniel Jones situation. And from man, thank you very much. He says, sexy Tana, what is your favorite stat from this season? And do you think we we keep Jamie Gillen next year? 
I mean, there's a lot of stats I've brought up. The, um, my favorite stat this year, and I, I, I mean, we, I, if we keep going, I'll speak on that real quick. If we keep going, I think there'll definitely be competition for him next year. But I don't know how much the Giants are going to want to spend on a punter. So I think there'll at least be competition. I, I'm not a huge fan of going. He's got a big leg, not very good in terms of directional punting. Um, so I think they'll at least bring in competition. He could be back, but I, I would lean that he won't be. As far as the first part of your question, my favorite stat this year, I'm not going to go in-depth. I'm not going to go too analytical. The red zone offense stat, that's my favorite stat this year for the New York Giants. And I could mention the time of possession stat as well. I could mention the fact that we possessed the ball two minutes and 55 seconds on average this year per drive, which is the highest we've been since 2008. Um, But for me, my favorite stat this year has been the improvement in the red zone. I talked about that at great lengths the last two years under Jason Garrett, in which we ranked 31st and 32nd, dead last in the NFL last year. Um, and we have not been higher than like 20 since like 2010. Like it's, we've been a horrible red zone offense for a very long time. We're seventh in the league this year, and it's been trending upwards over the course of the season. So my favorite stat this year has been the efficiency from inside the 20 yard line on the offensive side of the football. It translates in EPA too, which is an advanced stat, uh, just kind of analyzing how offenses are EPA expected points at giants were 11th in offensive EPA this year. They were dead last like i'm talking about like head cut off decapitated type of last last year under jason garrett so that stat is awesome and also just dexter lawrence and all the pressures he's getting from the a gap i saw a stat that mike renner posted and i don't have it in front of me but it was something like 40 of dexter lawrence's pressures come from either one technique or the nose tackle position chris the next highest in the nfl i think is dj jones who was in like maybe 18 16 like it's incredible what Dexter Lawrence is doing from the A-gap position. A lot of that is just him just being an absolute beast. A lot of it is also Wink Martindale scheming up a lot of guys up towards the line of scrimmage, creating one-on-one blocks. Because guess what? Blocking Dexter Lawrence one-on-one is not fun. And I feel like Wink Martindale puts that kid in a position to succeed. And credit to him, man. He is just absolutely phenomenal. One of the best defensive players in the league right now. And I do not think that's hyperbolic. I would say it's Geno Smith. But outside, because I think Geno Smith's going to win most approved player. This is where I'm going to go with this question. So if you want to argue Geno Smith for people in chat, I get that. Outside of him, because he took a huge jump, he's basically a career backup that became a Pro Bowl starting quarterback this year. Outside of him, has there been a player this year that has had a bigger leap than Dexter Lawrence? Dexter Lawrence was always good. Always good. He's all pro this year. For him Mm. to take that jump, and I think a lot of that goes to our defensive line coach, too, who was terrific. Um, Andre Patterson. Yeah, well, well, when he he was with Minnesota, he had that reputation. I was very excited when we brought him in. Wink talked about how excited he was in terms of, he said at the end of the year, if if you're not a pro ball by the end of this year, we failed you. So um, the coaching has a lot to do with it, but it is hard to find a player that has been more improved this year in the NFL. I'm not just talking about with the Giants than Dexter Lawrence. I'll say this though, Dexter Lawrence did have, and I don't feel like a lot of people acknowledge this. He had 43 pressures last year. He's he wasn't good. getting those sacks. Yeah. yeah. He was he was phenomenal to me on tape last year. He just wasn't getting those sacks. Now he's capitalizing getting those sacks. I think a big reason why is just where he is aligning and the fact that he has a coordinator who is aligning so many guys up on the line of scrimmage, allowing him to have those one-on-ones. Also, he's freaking amazing against the run, which is something that Shouldn't be a shock because he's like 345 pounds, but the dude is making plays outside the numbers. Like how many 345 pound defensive linemen, Chris, make plays outside the numbers? That play against against Baker Mayfield in week two where he chased Baker Mayfield, that was a third and two. 
and he stopped them and forced a fourth down. Like incredible effort right there from Dexter Lawrence. I'm just so glad that this has been here the entire season on this kid. I just feel like he's playing so and he, well. And he's been consistent every I see people in the mm. chat saying biased. I don't think that's biased. I think I think Dexter Lawrence is one of the most improved players in the NFL this year. Uh somebody said Tua. To me, Tua is a he's been improved, obviously. Kind of helps when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wongle. Yeah, I think Authentic brought up a good player, and it's somebody who hits home for New York Giant fans, and that's Evan Ingram. Yes. And look, Evan Ingram was misused by every single coaching staff he had here in New York. And I'm actually very happy for him that he landed with Doug Peterson. We knew Doug Peterson was going to get the most out of that kid because that guy's track record with tight ends and people who align in the slot is insane. Yeah, no, that is a good one. Evan Ingram did take did have a nice year this year for, uh, for uh, Jacksonville, and he's been a good blocker too. An improved blocker. Peter improved. says, Tana, remember you welts on the sexy Dexy dance. I, 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 I do it. I just don't do it standing up, but I do the sexy. Da- I do it every game when we stream the games, but I haven't oh, done man. a stand up version of it, Peter. But uh, <laughs> if we win the playoffs, I guess I'll try to do a stand up version. My camera's not big enough for you guys to see my whole body, but um, we'll definitely do a sexy Dexy dance this week if they win. <laughs> <laughs> and th- by the way, that's my favorite sack dance in the league. Yeah. Well, How who does that else not bring a smile there? to your face every time he gets a sack? It's great. Uh, oh, it's amazing. I mean, what other sack dance are there that's that great? I mean, you have like the J.J. Watt one's pretty cool, right? Which yeah. we're not going to see anymore. You had Sean Merriman's, which was really cool back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm trying so. to think of some other iconic ones. What? Who was the guy in the Giants, the defensive tackle that used to do the machine? Fred Robbins. Yeah. Fred Robbins. That, oh. was a, that was elite. <laughs> yeah, that one was freaking amazing. And I liked also in, in 2007. Did the flex. He was the flex, the flex. And then he added the stomp him out a little bit. Stomp him out, yeah. yeah. The bowling. They did the bowling. Um, oh, wow, yeah, that's going back, man. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Molly <laughs> says, honestly, rather have flat playing than Moreau. Uh, whichever they go with, I'm going to be fine with. I mean, they. Moreau's given us spurts this year where he's been good. Flot looked good last week. Flot's looked overmatched at times as well. He's still a rookie, still young. He's still undersized. We'll see where they go with this week. I Flot yeah. long term, I agree. Absolutely. But for this game, I could see them going with Moreau. But we'll see. Which I'm fine with, too. Yeah, You've been rolling a little, a little bit more so with Moreau than Flot, but I think what Flot has shown is definitely encouraging. But this is a big spot, and Moreau is a veteran who has kind of seen a lot in the league. Yeah, and he's played good at times for the Giants this year. Yes, Samuel said, but he had he has one of the plays of the year this year for the Giants. By the way, the tackle on the one yard line. Yeah, against Jacksonville. Yeah, tackle on the one yard line. Samuel says, "I live in Minnesota. Have to watch the game with Viking fans. That's horrible. That's horrible. Have fun with that, Samuel. (laughs) Come to the stream. Hang out with Giants fans during the game, Samuel. Are, Are Viking fans as mean and ruthless as fans from the Northeast, though?" Everything I've heard about Minnesota fans are their sweethearts. That's yeah. everything. Like they're the nicest people in the world. Um, that's what I've always heard about people from the from uh, from that area of the country. Yeah, the Twin Cities, they seem like very nice people. So maybe you'll have a good time, Samuel. But if not, just give them the bird and tell them to go screw themselves. Dude, <laughs> they're a team, Chris. They're a team, and I, it still blows my mind. They have a negative point differential with like a thirteen or four record, which is like it's the insane. craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I wonder if that's ever happened before. I'd have to look into that. I can't imagine it has. I can't. No, they won just so many tight games, and then they got their asses kicked by Green Bay, which just sunk it all. And like, the, and the Cowboys beat them forty to seven. 
Yeah, the Cowboys too. And the Cowboys do that to, to teams sometimes, man. They'll just pour it on. I remember, I think it was like 2000, was it 2021 maybe, where they played Washington on a Sunday night football game, I think it was. And they just literally, they beat them like 58 to like seven or something like absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that that they pad their stats sometimes. That's that, that, they're, they're notorious for doing that. They blow they blow them out. And then when they, then when they play a really good team, Dak doesn't show up. Peter says, what's the free agent market look like for inside linebacker? Do you think we draft? I mean, people brought up Edmonds all stream. That's been the most popular name. I haven't taken a huge deep dive into the inside linebacker yeah. position or free agency in general. So I pulled it, it up. I pulled it up right here. Yeah. So it looks like like Tremaine Edmonds is the one that I'm really interested in. It appears like some of these guys like is Devin Bush, is he gonna be still available? He's on the list here. I'm on what is it, Spotrack or however you pronounce it. Guys like John Bostic, who had I think the best game of his career against the Giants and the Milano, he's always a guy that's available. Matt Milano. <laughs> I think they signed him though. And he's did they sign him? Did they? He's okay. coming from Buffalo as well. But Alex Anzalone, it says, is is going to be a free agent. Sometimes I feel like I, I look at Spotrack and they say people are gonna be free agents, and then I realize they sign a three year contract and I'm like, well, what the hell? Why'd you lie to me? But there's going to be some players, and I'm just looking for another veteran presence in there you need to add bodies to that position because dude we went into the season chris with austin calitro penciled in as one of the starters and like one of the players who we were going to see oh my it. It God. Our linebackers dude i'm thinking back Devonte downs was the starter a couple years ago to open the season we had oh uh God, dude. We, we've our linebackers have been so bad um and i've actually said people have asked me because of how slim the free agency classes for the wide receiver because that's obviously another pressing need for this team along with corner, interior offensive line. Um, if we do spend this year in free agency on any specific position, that's the position I think it'll be. I, I The linebacker spot. I don't think it's going to be a off insane contract at that position because we have yeah. our in-house guys to sign. But I, if we're going to spend, say, $10, $12 million a year on an outside player, I think it'll be a linebacker. Which guy I don't know, but that that's where I think we'll spend our money this year if we if we bring in an outside guy. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Jeremiah says, "Do you guys think we could trade up in the draft to get a wide receiver like Quentin Johnston? Move up to between 13th and 16th for our first uh, pick? We could. I mean, we got a ton of draft picks, right? I think we got 13 draft picks or no, 11 draft picks. I should 11, say between, yeah. between comp picks and the, and the additional picks with the uh, Canarius Tony trade. Um, I don't think we will. I, I, I unless we really like a player." I don't think we will. I think we're going to stand pat. Um, and we'll see. I mean, we'll see the process. I mean, right now I've seen mocks where Quentin Johnson goes top eight, top nine. But you don't know. I mean, he may drop the he may drop to where we're picking by the time of the draft. Things happen during the process with the combine and everything else. Um, if they Here's what I'll say. If they value a player strongly enough that they feel it's worth giving up the draft capital that'll cost to move up, they'll do it. Um, I doubt it, though. I don't think, I don't think they're going to trade a, a hole to move up that that much in the first round you're talking about 10 11 12 spots you're talking about potentially giving up a future first round pick if you're jumping that high in the first round so i don't see that happening i think we'll stand pat and, and take the best player on our board i'm kind of right there with you but anything can happen and this is very early on in the process ask me in two weeks i might have a different opinion <laughs> yeah you, you don't know i mean yeah. listen if there's a deal there and there's a player that you like enough you do it Gavin says, since uh, since the Washington football team game won the 2020 game, the tie, DJ has been carrying the offense. Does it continue into the playoffs? And 11 sec uh, second snow angels are the best dance. <laughs> to the cave on Thibodeau celebration. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, I don't see any reason why it won't. Daniel Jones outside. Is this fair to say? And I'm not taking anything away from Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was incredible this year, and he was great the first 
half of the season. He was the most outside of Andrew Thomas, the best player on our offense. I think Andrew Thomas the best, the most consistent player on our offense this year. But outside of Andrew Thomas, I think Dan Jones has been the most consistent player for the Giants this year on offense. He just has, I think. Is that fair to say? I think it is. I don't think it's unfair to say. And I think a lot of it is because of Daniel Jones' development and growth and the what the coaching staff is doing. I mean, look at what this guy has had to deal with. We And I brought this up on, on other platforms, but we thought the 11 personnel package with three wide receivers would be three guys that are either not on the team right now or are injured with Wandale Robinson, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, we thought was going to have a huge impact, did not, Kadarius Toney. But that's not what happened. I mean, we had Darius Slayton as like the fifth guy in the depth chart, and he's one of the primary receivers that Daniel Jones has been throwing to. Luckily, they have some sort of rapport, but Richie James is now a huge part of this offense. Isaiah Hodgins. So Daniel Jones has kind of had to cycle around a bunch of different personnel that he's throwing the football to. Daniel Bellinger was out for a large chunk of the season, and Daniel Jones was still able to have success and win football games. I mean, that's not easy to do. So I don't think it's unreasonable for you to say that because Saquon Barkley kind of had that lull after the bye week and after the Houston game specifically. And then once, as we said earlier in this in this um, podcast or whatever, once the Giants went to a more 11 personnel approach where they were using quick game and throwing the football, they were able to establish a rushing attack that was more formidable than what they were doing at a 12 personnel, which doesn't really make any sense when you just think about it from a personnel uh, personnel side of it. But at the same time, the defense is playing you a little bit differently, typically, if you're out there with 11 personnel rather than 12 personnel. And the Giants also kind of got away from power gap a little bit and counter and started running a lot more inside zone and duo. And for whatever reason, the Giants up front are blocking a little bit better. And I just feel like the double teams up front are doing a much better job right now than they were even four weeks ago. And maybe that's because Ben Bredesen is back. Maybe that's just because guys are a little bit more healthy. Evan Neal came back. I think that helped a little bit. But I really do believe that the rushing attack right now is also maybe not at its peak of the season because they were so effective early on, but it's much better than it was when there was that lull against Detroit. I think you could make an argument, though. As a whole, the rushing attack is as strong as it's been all year. Because Daniel Jones, because yeah. Daniel Jones has been running the ball very effectively down the stretch. And I think Barkley's starting to get that. You could see it. The last two, three games that he played, you're starting to see, he's got that burst back. Um, I think we're going to be able to run the ball all over Minnesota this week. I really do between Barkley and Jones's legs, but we're also going to throw it. We're going to try to throw it too, but I think we'll, I think we'll be able to run it when we want to this week against Minnesota. But um, yeah, listen, I, I'm not too worried about Daniel Jones in this game. I'm not telling you he's going to go out there and throw seven touchdowns, but I'm not too worried about Daniel Jones in this game. I think he'll show up. I think he'll give you a good performance, and I think he'll give you an opportunity to win this football game. I'm not too worried about Daniel Jones in this game. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just not. Um, but we're going to get set to close this out. It's 8-11. I still haven't eaten. Um, Jeez. But, man, I just uh, – and it's 5-11 by you, so it's probably getting close to dinner for you. 6-11. Yeah, oh, Arizona. Oh, it's a two hour. I thought it was three hours in Arizona. It's two hours. So Arizona, we don't do daylight savings time. So some of the year we're on mountain time, which is what we're on now. Most of the year we're on Pacific time, but right now we're on mountains. So we're two hours behind you. Oh, okay. yeah. A little weird, right? Yeah. We just totally rebel. We're like, ah, no, 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 screw that stuff. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Peter says Nick Gates has to win comeback player of the year. Should have the captain C. I'd love to see him win it. I don't know if he's got the name recognition to win the award, but I'd love to see him win it. I mean, the guy battled back from what was many thought was going to be a career ending injury. So um, that'd be great. And hopefully he's back next year with the giants and hopefully he gets that captain's badge. Cause I think he's one of the most respected guys in that locker room for this New York giants football team. Um, But I just want to say thank you to all you guys for always tuning into the streams. Thank you guys for all the support. 
If Carl doesn't come on tomorrow, hopefully he does. But if he doesn't, I'll probably still go live. We got playoffs this week. We're all excited. I'll be live Friday. I'll be live Saturday. Obviously, be live Sunday for the game. Um, Nick, Dan's not here anymore. Tell him I said thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to doing this again with you guys next week when we win. Because it's going to happen. We're going to come back on. We're going to recap the Minnesota game. We're going to dive into the matchup against the Eagles or the Cowboys or whoever we're playing. Um, and it was a blast. This season's been a blast. Can't wait for the playoffs. I'm so amped up. Um, but yeah, Nick, man, close it out, man. Hey, everybody. First playoff appearance since 2016. The whole boat fiasco, it's in the past. Get rid of it. It's not there anymore. New York Giants are going to play a playoff game that is very winnable against the Minnesota Vikings, a team that they could have beat a few short weeks ago in Daniel Jones. Hopefully he can get his first playoff win. I'm really psyched about it. I'm hyped up. Everybody's hyped up. Let's get this dub. Let's go, Big Blue. Love it. And by the way, I saw Nona post it. Wanted to give him a sh- them a shout out. They're growing their channel on YouTube. They got a podcast off of it. Oh, um, great film breakdowns. Go over there, check them out. Link's right there. Thank you for posting that, Nona. Big Blue Banter. Uh, they got a great podcast over there. Uh, always love coming. They, they bring a really good uh, perspective to the New York Giants. And they, they you know, they, they educate me as much as you guys. So I appreciate you for coming on today, talking Giants football. So have a good night, everybody. We'll talk soon. Be good, everybody.